Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Geek Me podcast. Uh, we're going to be going through the Marvel Cinematic Universe for episode four, I think, as a lead up to Infinity War. I have Zach Feigelson and Drew Smalley here with me. So say hello, guys. Hello, guys. <laughs> hello there. That's actually well done. I, I, I got that reference. And that was Thank a you. reference to the Avengers. Uh, so, well, yeah, we're going to go through all 17 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. It's going to be a pretty long episode. And uh, it's just going to be something that you guys can listen to as you wait for Infinity War, lead up this week to Infinity War, and kind of just want to go through what happened in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the themes that are involved in it, what happens in it, and uh, we're going to give you our favorite moments or our top five films or something like that. So, uh, how do we want to start this? Do we want to start it directly with Iron Man? Do we want to? What do you think? I don't know. Do we start with the best one? Start with start with Iron Man. Start off strong. But well, you, you think strong, Iron uh, Man best one? I, I'd like to start with that opinion. Uh, where where did that come from? That's my opinion. That's gonna. I mean, yeah. when we eventually make the list, Iron Man is number favorite Marvel film of all time. Yeah, I, uh, I would agree with that. Uh, just in terms of developing a character uh, without um, any of the pretenses that all of the other ones had. It was starting an entire universe from scratch. It had a fairly fleshed out villain, especially in terms of the Marvel universe, uh, a comprehensive plot, um, and uh, a character that you could really relate to, I think. So that's why Iron Man's my favorite. By the way, Zach, you might want to move a little bit closer to your computer. All right. My hair. But uh, going off of Iron Man itself, I think one of the main reasons what sets Iron Man apart was it was itself the first film. It took a risk. It established, had Iron Man failed, we wouldn't have gone um, uh, another 17 films the way that we have or another 16 films the way that we have. I think it, it took a tremendous risk. It, it put together, as Zach said, a great character, a great protagonist, a pretty decent antagonist. Like, um, Oh, crap. But Jeff Bridges, yeah. Jeff Bridges is about... Obadiah, Obadiah Stane, yep. Was actually a really good uh, put-together villain with, like, actual reason to do what he wanted to do and things like that. And having rewatched the first Iron Man, that movie actually dealt with its emotions pretty well. It dealt with uh, when he's in the cave, dealing with, like, the loss of what he thought, you know, all of the strengths that he had being put outside of his place. Like, it delved into these things that were dark and not as uh like as similar to what marvel is right now and that's one of the things i noticed a lot and it's one of the reasons why i'm pretty sure it's my favorite marvel film of all time like it, it would be a close contest with a few other films but i think iron man 2 to me is the best marvel film that was ever made and it's not to say that marvel has gone down or anything like that it's just that they hit such a high note with their first movie that the rest of the movie came out pretty good and then the rest of the cin cinematic universe was able to sustain itself off of this fantastic first movie so yeah that's my thought on the very first iron man i mean i, I will I, also say about oh, oh no, no 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 feigelson please please go ahead i haven't yeah go go <laughs> One of, um I, what i will say <laughs> what i will say is that also uh the first iron man movie stays uh very true to the comics it only switches up a few things just to stay current but in terms of a comic book adaptation, it's also very strong as well as just strong. 
I mean, I I don't disagree that Iron Man is a fantastic superhero movie, let alone a fantastic movie in general. Uh, I wouldn't say it's my favorite. Uh, I guess I'll save my favorite for when we come up to it. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, no, Iron Man is a superb film for starting the franchise. I mean, they very easily could have completely screwed this up. You know, they went with they went with Robert Downey Jr., a guy who was best known for being in rehab before then. Uh, so, I mean, it's really a testament to how successful this franchise has been that that first movie was such a weird, out-of-nowhere kind of success like it was. You know, before before the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Iron Man never would have been on people's minds as much as he is now, you know, uh, he wasn't on that Captain America, Superman, Batman level of being in the uh, zeitgeist. But I mean, now Robert Downey Jr. is what one of the highest paid actors in the world. And the Marvel Cinematic Universe was born from that movie. So, yeah, no doubt. I mean, not exactly a hot take to say it's a revolutionary movie. Um, yeah, I'll... yeah, we we're experiencing small issues from your side again, Drew. Uh, I don't know. Whoa, there's there's some great news. <laughs> I I know you were saying some great things, but it, it cut off. I'd say three or four times. But you know what? It's good. We're just gonna keep going with it. And uh, like yeah. I don't know, we've we've tried recording this over and over again. This is just an issue that we're having with the server that we're on, but. Uh, mm -hmm. We'll just change around, see what happens. Uh, but yeah, like I, I think we can all agree, like Iron Man itself, really well done film. It was a really good film for its time, and like uh, I, I, yeah, I genuinely, uh, I was amazed by the film. I recently rewatched the entire cinematic universe. I, I like went through Phase One, Phase Two, Phase Three, and Phase One had its issues, obviously. Uh, like we we got a, some not like you know some of the films that, that were there were Thor like, 1 Thor 1 was kind of a little bit of a snooze fest like rewatching it but Cap, like the first Cap time one. Captain America Cap 1 was actually I really enjoyed it like I, I think the movie takes a big turn between um you know before he becomes Captain America and after he becomes Captain America there's a big change in the way that the tone goes uh the tone itself of the film changes a lot but I really enjoyed the first half of Captain America, and then it became kind of like a little, kind a little crazy. Not, not crazy in the sense that like it was out of the world or anything like that. It's just like uh, it got a little too fast paced. It lost a little bit of its ca character development, and then it kind of it became its own thing. But yeah. I'd say probably probably the weakest point of the uh, Phase One, uh, I guess, part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is, in my opinion, Iron Man Two. Like, I don't know what are your thoughts on that, but I... I mean, I actually love Iron Man 2. I'm a sucker for Iron Man. I think that that movie gets too much heat unnecessary. Okay. Uh, I would say that, again, it has a stronger villain than Thor 1 would. I think it even really? has a stronger villain than Red Skull. If you take out the prestige... Really? That comes with, if you take out the prestige that comes with the Red Skull character from the comics, and you just look at it as a movie, he's just another Nazi. 
Like okay, that's the most simplistic villain that that you can have in modern day movies. But, yeah, but whereas you, if you have you yeah. have one guy who hates him because his father destroyed his father the other father's legacy and you have a second guy who's envious of him and it's them kind of coming together the final third of that movie is weak i would agree but i think that again the the villain is as a fleshed out villain and you understand where this villain is coming from um and so i feel like that movie gets too much heat what it gives I, out i would have to very hardly disagree with that that's that's exactly what i'm gonna go with like i i I genuinely felt nothing for uh, Ivan, whatever his name was. Ivan Bangor, portrayed by Mickey Rourke with the worst Russian accent ever. And it just puts you so out of the film. Like, throughout the movie, one, I didn't feel anything from this guy. Like, all I felt was, like, this guy's trying to play, like, a, a terrible Russian villain who displays emotions, like, in the very first scene that he's in. And then he's one of the most monotone people the entire. Yep. And I mean, that's what like I I just couldn't get on board with this villain at all. Like nothing about it excited me. Nothing about it. Uh, I don't and, know. I, like I I started like feeling just out of the film twenty thirty minutes into the film. It, I I'd say my favorite part of the entire like second Iron Man film is him dealing with the fact that he's poisoning himself and he you know the entire thing of. Um, one of my strongest, like I guess, emotional moments in, in the entire phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is Iron Man dealing with his father, like the videos that his father left him. And like, you know, when he's trying to find the new element and things like that, I think that's probably one of the best things about Iron Man too. But the villain and the story itself are kind of trash in my opinion. Yeah, I'd, I'd say- I think that that's, oh, go ahead, Drew. Yeah, I'd say like, the problems with Iron Man 2, while there are some good parts with the emotion with his father, the dealing with his own poisoning himself, that's all good. But I'd say the problems with Iron Man 2 are just really heavily outweigh the whole, again, Kush touched on why the villain isn't that great, but it's sort of the beginning of Marvel reusing their idea. You know, Iron Man 1, the villain, uh, is Iron Man, but bigger and whatever. And then Iron Man 2, they have the same problem where he's just a guy in a different Iron Man suit is the villain. And they sort of have that problem a lot in Marvel movies where the villain is sort of just the same as the hero, but evil. Um, uh, well, I think the villain in Iron Man 2 is not necessarily just uh, Whiplash. I think it's, it's, it's clearly also Justin Hammer. But it's also yeah, but Justin Hammer is building Iron Man suits, and those well, are the things that he fights. Yes, but it's also Tony Stark dealing with his own now arrogance with this Stark Expo. He's also dealing with the fact that he has a, something that's poisoning his body that's also keeping him alive. He's dealing with all these different factors coming in. Shield is limiting him. Like there are so many different factors that are that are messing with him that it clearly just puts him over the top when. Whiplash comes out and does what he does, but it's the villain in this movie is almost Tony Stark as much as it is the other two, and I find that a really interesting dynamic that isn't really played with as much in the rest of the films, except I guess you could say in Age of Ultron when it's essentially the same storyline. Yeah, I mean, I don't argue that there aren't good parts to the idea, but I don't think they were well executed at all. So, 
let's, uh, I think Arma 2 does a pretty solid job in terms of like setting up the external universe of what eventually follows into phase two. Uh, I think it does a good job of like introducing S.H.I.E.L.D., introducing Black Widow, introducing these, this like larger element of what's there. But like apart from the more internal struggle that Iron Man, uh, like uh, then I guess Tony Stark goes through, with uh, yes, I, I do understand the aspect of like he's dealing with uh, his own ego and things like that. However, in terms of just like the aspect of you know the the, the hero storyline where he's facing off against someone, like a hero can only be as good as the villain that uh, that's opposing him. Otherwise, the entire thing is just a character piece, and a character piece is unilateral at the end of it. And that's what I kind of felt like Iron Man Two was. I I felt absolutely nothing for the villain. I felt no connection, none whatsoever. The middle part of the film was probably my favorite part because he's dealing with himself. And that was something that I really wanted to see in Iron Man 3 that we'll get to later. And I don't know, like, I think it was overall a pretty weak film. Like, it can, it's not a bad movie. It's definitely not a bad movie, but it's weak in comparison to its predecessor by a huge amount. Oh, I would agree, but I would also say that most of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies are weak in comparison to Iron Man 1. And not because they're bad, just because Iron Man 1, in my opinion, is just such a fantastic movie. Um, and that's getting back to our original point of that being my favorite Marvel movie. But I think when you're comparing it to Iron Man 1, then yeah, it's a weak movie. But if you're comparing it to other movies in the Phase 1 universe, I would watch that movie over Captain America 1. I would watch that movie over Thor yeah. 1. Like, there are, I would definitely watch it over Hulk. So there it puts it in at least in the middle of that phase i mean i would put it yeah. at the bottom right above hulk i mean nobody's gonna put hulk above anything but i i would say that thor and captain america are better movies in that phase maybe iron man 2 has better parts in some cases but i'd say thor and captain america do much better jobs of in terms of villain work in terms of you know like iron man they did a really good job of setting the tone for their heroes uh i feel like iron man 2 felt too much like a filler film that just kind of was there between the beginning and avengers that didn't really need to be there that didn't that at least for the iron man parts didn't need to be there it did a good job like kush said of setting up those external parts which was i feel like one of the good shining moments was setting up shield and black widow and having you get used to having more stuff besides just iron man in an iron man movie but other yeah. than that i would say it's not as strong as those other uh phase one movies i, I think that's uh, yeah that's that's a pretty accurate like uh, way of summarizing what I feel about it as well. Um, I feel that like uh, maybe instead of Iron Man two, if we would have gone like a Black Widow movie in a way, where it was it, it kind of would have been very much similar. Like I honestly, I could have done without Whiplash. That that that's it. Like I I just um, <laughs> yeah, but he needs a physical villain. Like he needs if if you have an Iron Man movie and his biggest competition is Justin Hammer making droids. People are going to be frustrated with that, especially when you have Avengers coming out the next year, which is essentially just droids. Side, side note, yeah. I think Justin Hammer should come back and get, like, 
I think I love Samurai. Some more stuff so that they can redeem that character. He was a fantastic him a better character. No, I, I definitely like Sam Rockwell did a fantastic yeah. job. Yeah, Sam Rockwell as Justin Hammer was not only not only was he like uh, fun to watch throughout the entire movie and like he gave the sense of like levity and character development that it needed, but he, he's kind of like a character who they could flesh out as like uh, I guess like not an intellectual equivalent of uh, a, a business equivalent of uh, who Tony Stark is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he he supports the character in a way, like he supports the like Iron Man's character or Tony Stark's character in itself. And I think the fact that we're talking about all of the great pieces of Iron Man 2 kind of proves the problem with Iron Man 2 is that it had all these great pieces. I think it shoved too much in. It didn't develop the good stuff enough and it it had the bad stuff in it too much. So I think that that would be the biggest complaint that I would have with that movie. And like uh, one of the things that uh, no matter what happens, like Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America, the first Avenger, all had pretty good, like, final confronta- confrontations between the villains and the heroes. Iron Man 2 was a mess when it came to the final fight. Uh, I would completely agree with that. And, like, I, I know it, it's not even, it doesn't fall on John Favreau. I don't think it even falls on Justin Thoreau. I think this was a fault on Marvel's side where they just wanted to push the like a new i guess um what do you call it like a sequel to the first iron man and it's something that's been discussed over time as well with uh you know the rumors that are circulating and things like that that this sequel was just pushed into um a release date like two years less almost two years or just above two years uh after the first iron man even though it needed a much longer time and i think the effects were felt in iron man too uh, and yeah. also, why uh, John Favreau never came back for Iron Man three? I think that has a lot to do with them leaving uh, the cinematic universe as a director, not as an actor, because he's there throughout uh, Marvel movies. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like I feel like that problem of like directors getting burned out in the Marvel cinematic universe and them not coming back. Uh, yeah, kind of really started with John Favreau, like the, you know you see him kind of get tired with his vision there in Iron Man 2, just like uh, 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 Joss Whedon did with Avengers 2, where sort of the problems start to pile up and then, you know, their vision kind of gets ruined in a sense. Not ruined in the sense that it's awful, but, you know, it mm-hmm. isn't what they envisioned anymore and they kind of give yeah, up on the universe like- for, a sen- for a sense. It's also slightly visible in the sense that, like, you, you can see a sense of studio meddling and things like that, and why directors are getting burnt out between uh, watching the first trailers, like the original trailers that get released for those movies, and the final product that comes out. That there was a severe bait and switch in the tone between, like, the first trailer of Avengers: Age of Ultron and what happened with the final product itself. Yep. So, like, that's something that's. Uh, I think Phase Two dealt. Okay, so Phase 1 did a pretty good job in terms of the setup and everything like that. Phase 2 dealt with the issues because there was a lot of, like, studio meddling, and that affected the films in itself. Even though Phase 2 is probably my favorite phase of, uh, what do you call it, like, all all of the three phases put together, because it has two of my, like, you know, number two and number three of my favorite movies. And uh, I think Phase 3 is where they really allowed 
some of the directors to shine. Like we got to see that with, especially we got to see uh, Ryan Coogler shine with Black Panther and Taika Waititi to shine with Thor Ragnarok, where they allowed them to kind of go uh, go with the vision that they had. And I, I think that's where they really learned it. And that's why that's one of the reasons why I'm super excited for Infinity War, because the Rooster Brothers did a fan, like a really good job with Winter Soldier and a pretty good job with uh, Civil War, in my opinion. I think that I, I think that there's a certain level of of studio meddling that's good in a sense, though, because I didn't really appreciate the the, the Taika Waititi, and we'll get to it later. But I didn't as appreciate the Thor Ragnarok movie as much as I think I could have because the mm-hmm. theme and totally it was just so different from what I was used to with a Thor movie. And I get that the Thor movies hadn't been working, yeah. but yeah. it was just such a tonal shift. It was completely different, completely different color scheme uh the character was a completely different character it was the it was a good standalone movie the yeah of writing itself changed because kenneth Branagh's thor was very much like uh it felt like a little bit of a period piece kind of thing and then it was similar with thor the dark world where they were kind of like bringing this like period piece type of movie into the modern world and then thor ragnarok kind of just went down this like it was like a sci-fi yeah exactly it, it i was mean also guardians of the galaxy path that's what it did. Like, that's what it ended up yeah. kind of becoming. In, in, defense of, in defense of Thor Ragnarok, uh, I do understand those criticisms, but I'd say, like Zach said, the, the studio meddling to an extent can be good, and I think that sort of is what happened with the first two Thor movies, where they need to establish this universe in a certain mm-hmm. way, so the tone kind of has to be in a certain way for those movies. But once you get to Thor Ragnarok, you know, this character has spent some amount of time, months or years or whatever on Earth, has spent time around characters like Tony Stark and and other characters like that. So I think it makes sense that the tone of the character and the tone of his movie would change with the influence of this whole universe around him. And I think that's a good thing that the universe... And the the collaboration movies are influencing the individual movies, like you see in Thor Ragnarok, like you see in Iron Man three. Uh, I think it's a good thing that I, the movies evolve over time, rather than Thor being another stuffy Shakespearean movie that doesn't work again. I understand that. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. What uh, but if you picture the MCU as a series of trilogies. Right, each superhero has his own trilogy. The Avengers have their own trilogy. The only trilogy that doesn't make sense with a character arc that spans the three movies is the Thor films. The first two, you can see it coming. And while it's not a great trilogy, and I would not watch it, at least there was some connection. And then when you took the Thor Ragnarok movie, it's like you have a completely different movie. As a standalone movie, Thor Ragnarok is fantastic. But in terms of this character arc, this three-piece character arc, it does not work. I mean, I guess, but at the same time, I would say viewing it, especially the Thor trilogy as a trilogy on its own, is less important than viewing the universe as a whole, at least for that trilogy. I don't know. So uh, I think that this is, yeah, so I, I see where both of you are coming from, like, but 
if you view all of the movies as like an individual piece, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two would be kind of a a bad film in a way if you just view it without the context of anything, without the if there was no like if you didn't have the kind of development that we have from the first Guardians of the Galaxy, just going into Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two it would kind of be a, a mess. You'd just be like, I, I don't really care about any of these characters and things like that. Because what they did was they built upon the previous Guardians of the Galaxy. And that's kind of what you have to do with sequels. And I think that's where, like, I, I have absolutely no doubt that, like, while watching Thor Ragnarok, I had a ton of fun. But thinking about Thor Ragnarok once the movie ended, it gave me a very different opinion of the film. As a part of the trilogy of the Thor But watching the movie, it is, it is it's a fun cinematic experience but it's very different in terms of its storytelling. That's not to say it's bad. It's just no, to no, say no. I would have preferred the other two Thor movies to be more like Thor Ragnarok, but now that you're invested in the first two, I think you just have to, to stick with it. Yeah. that's it. Even if you bring in Taika Waititi and you make it funnier, I think you still have to keep the, the kind of, even like color scheme-wise and visually, that movie is, you had this like dark, grim kind of, even in the, the, the second one was darker than the first one, but even in the first one, it's not like a, a super like colorful thing. And then you go and you have Jeff Goldblum in some fancy costume with gold paint all over his face. And it's like, that's fun. But like, if you're watching three, if, if I show you three movies without any context, you're like, okay, those are three good movies. They're not a good trilogy. Exactly. And that, that's exactly what I felt like, uh, like, I, I really enjoyed, going back to, like, let's go back all the way to 2011 for the first Thor itself. It's, it was directed by Kenneth Branagh. He, he's more of a, a stage actor, stage director kind of thing. And it's very much visible in the way that Thor was done. It, it was kind of, it was pretty much very slow, but it, you know, the dialogue was very different from the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You didn't have these, like, quick quips that are usually there. And... Uh, that's something that they continued into Thor The Dark World, which was, honestly, I didn't really enjoy the movie. I thought it was, like, I've watched it three times now. Uh, the second, the third time that I watched it was literally a few days back. And while watching the movie, one of the things that I realized was, like, apart from the fact that this movie uh, contains the second Infinity Stone, it is literally unnecessary. Oh, absolutely. Oh, no, yeah. Thor, Thor The Dark World, I would even argue, is worse than Incredible Hulk. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. I mean, at least never, yeah, I've never done the comparison between uh, Thor: The Rock World and The Incredible Hulk. So, like, I don't know. I, I have a, uh, I have a, yeah. Actually, I would agree. I think I have a slight fondness for The Incredible because of the way that uh, Edward Norton kind of played Bruce Banner in a way, and the way that they kind of deal with like him trying to find the inner peace, et cetera, et cetera. Like the small levels of character development, whereas Thor: The Dark World just came off as a few moments of strong emotion, and then the rest of them kind of seemed like a mess. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. I think that the supporting cast of, of Hulk is superior to Thor Dark World besides um, the Doctor. I forget his name. But I, I could go without Jane Foster. I could go without Kat Dennings' character. Um, the villain, I think, is stronger in Incredible Hulk. I think that that movie is, again, is just like a vessel to show there's an infinity stone here yeah no i i completely agree like uh 
I think this during like the start of the film as well as like later on in the film, the entire thing revolves around the ether and uh, it, it's just it felt so off. Like I, I just didn't really enjoy it. But let's go yeah. uh like let's go with what I consider to be one of my favorite and probably my uh my favorite trilogy of movies, and that's the Captain America films. I, I think uh they've they kind of like rose in quality if that makes sense except uh, the winter soldier in my opinion was a better film but they still were like both of the sequels to captain america were exponentially better than the first avenger but the first avenger was a very good setup if that makes sense yeah i would i would say i actually like the first avenger a lot because it's a great film for showing off who steve rogers is you know Mm -hmm. he's captain america he's literally fighting nazis i think that's a really fun good first movie for him yeah and i think the real strong point for the captain america trilogy is that in each movie whether it gets better or not each movie feels grander which i think is the point of the trilogy you know you go from it's just Captain America. It's the 1940s. He's fighting Nazis. Cool. Then you go to the second one. He's Captain America, but he's also in modern times, and he also has friends now in Black Widow and uh, uh, Falcons Anthony in that Mackie's, one. Yeah, uh, Anthony Mackie's and, Falcon. Yep. Yeah, and then and then they're fighting a world-ending threat again. And then in the third one, they're not fighting a world-ending threat, but it's also basically Avengers two and a half because you have every single Avenger except Hulk and Thor. So I think Mm -hmm. the real strong point of that series Uh, is while I I would evolving character evolving how he's involved in the universe. I would, I would also say that uh, the Captain America movies, the, that trilogy shows the most uh, character development of any of the trilogies. Uh, He goes from this, all I want to do is serve my country, fight in the military. I can do no wrong, which is the reason I kind of disliked the first one is because it was just so, it was so corny in my opinion. But looking at the trilogy, I think it worked really well because then in the second one, he's now debating like, oh, do I listen to the government who I disagree with or do I follow my morals and go this way? Like, do I follow orders? Do I go with my heart? That stuff. And then in the third movie, he's he's the rebel. He's now He's now the people that he used to be fighting against. And I think that that kind of shift in character is an extremely interesting shift of character. And the only real successful, like complete change in character that they've made. So uh, I 100% agree with what you just said. I think that's one of the reasons why Captain America this trilogy is my favorite trilogy is like, it's while Iron Man itself also shows us like the shift in things like that, it shows us uh you know, um, like the first Iron Man, he's dealing with uh, his own personal demons while he's also becoming Iron Man. Iron Man 2, he's dealing with his own survival. And then Iron Man 3, he's dealing with the post-effects of uh, the Avengers movie. Captain America really just shows us like internally how different uh, Steve Rogers is through each of the phases. And it just shows us how like the opinion of... uh, you know, like what patriotism is, what nationalism is, or mainly patriotism is, changes as a, in itself. Like it moves over from just purely believing in like a, uh, you know, 
Captain America, the first Avenger was like government versus government, Captain America, the Winter Soldier is like dealing with what is the right point? It, it sets up this conversation of like, what is the right point of like privacy versus security? And like it dealt with the NSA leaks and things like that. And then leading into civil war, you actually get to see that like, uh, not everyone thinks the same. People might be the same, but they don't always think the same. And I think that's one of the best parts about Captain America Civil War. I think both of the leaders of the opposing sides want what's essentially accountability and security, but they go about it in a very, very different way. And I think that Captain America Civil War does a similar thing to what Avengers did, and it kind of creates a new genre. Like, Avengers was the first, like, superhero team-up movie that was successful ever. And then now you have Captain America Civil War, which does a fantastic job of pitting... Drew and I are big WWE fans, and they have these things called faces and heels. And a heel is someone that you root for, a heel is someone that you hate, and a face is someone that you that you like and you root for. And they do a really good job of putting two heels against each other and making them decide like which one's right. They're both right in their own way. There's this mental conflict, and you can end up rooting for both sides if you want. And that's something that and DC tried to do it and they failed miserably. And then Marvel comes and does it and they're fan- and it and it works so well that they completely changed the uh, they created a new genre for themselves again. So this was our first DC reference <laughs> in uh, 33 minutes. That's lo- that's how long it took us for to bring in like this comparison. All right, who, who's so taking a shot? Take a shot. Take a shot. Take a shot for uh, the first DC reference that we had. But the good thing is we went through a solid half hour before we even talked about it. But um, like, okay, you you guys clearly know that like I I love I love DC Comics. Like it's a completely different yeah. thing in terms of like the expanded universe and things like that. I, I think there's some very strong points in the expanded universe, like the the cinematic universe that they're trying to build. But then there's some absolute shit show points as well that they've done, and it has a lot to do with Warner Brothers uh, essentially fucking up filmmaking. And so, like, that's a conversation for a completely different time. But, yeah, it, it does, uh, like you said, it, it's just, like, two two sides of the same coin. That's what it is. Uh, where, like, at the end of it, both are trying to do similar things. And that's what, like, uh, Civil War represents in a way. And But, like, I th- essentially, First Avenger was a fantastic setup for a character that's going to go probably go through the most amount of change. Like, Iron Man still stays very similar through a lot of the movies after Iron Man 2. But Captain America is probably the character that does like an almost 180 flip uh, from what he was the very first time he was introduced. I, I think I that Iron Man... Agree. I would think that Iron Man almost changes more in Civil War than he does in the entire three movies of the Iron Man trilogy. Like, within that movie, he has so much internal strife and just, like, confusion about what's right, what's wrong... Um, that and I get that Iron Man is essentially the main character of the MCU, and he's in all of the movies, and he's he's constantly evolving. But I'd say that that movie not only changes Cap, but it also changes Iron Man a lot, which is saying a ton for a movie that's specifically a Captain America movie. Yeah. Also has the best fight scene uh, I've ever seen. Wait, which one would that be? The civil the the civil war, the, the civil war fight, uh, airport airport fight scene uh, was so impressively done um i definitely uh may or may not have had to change my pants after seeing all of the characters line up on both sides 
Um, <laughs> but I thought that was just so I mean, well done. Like, uh, we'll, we'll get more into the conversation of Avengers coming together and things like that once we delve into, uh, like, you know, later on into the movies. But um, actually, you know what? Let's just start off with it. The next movie in the cinematic universe is Marvel's The Avengers. And, like, I think this just jump-started the, the, the points before these movies. It was just like, all right, these, these are good individual films, but are they going to be able to bring these characters together and actually make anything effective? So what the Avengers did, while people can, like, you know, talk about how, oh, the story was kind of, like, all right, or this and that, but, like, it did take a massive risk of bringing, like, these massive personalities together that were established through their own films and then kind of combine them in a really great way. So, like, it, it's just uh, re-watching the movies, like, I realized that the Marvel's Avengers is a much faster-paced film. Like, it's a, it's a lot faster than the rest of the, um, what do you call it, set of films because it involves so many different characters. But at no point do you feel just left out. And I think that's something that's really impressive in terms of filmmaking. I mean, I think, yeah, like Avengers, it's weird to think about now, six years later, because like, you know, we're so used to superhero films and cinematic universes now. But like the idea even of a cinematic universe didn't really exist before phase one and specifically before the Avengers, because nobody knew it could work. Nobody had even really thought of it before and the fact that they were able to take what was it four five, four films before i guess five four or five films before yeah yeah and take characters and ideas and themes from all those movies mush them together into this crossover and somehow make a movie that's both fun and like still a good movie is and I think they had it impressive. I think they had it difficult dilemma. Also, you have to find a way to build up all these characters and make sure that you know that each one of these could kick a ton of ass, but and they all can hang with each other at the same time. Building up a villain that actually makes the Avengers feel threatened and bringing a making them seem vulnerable enough that they could actually lose this fight. And I think that they do that. Uh, in a really great way by having all this internal struggle between each other. We know that as soon as they all come together, they're going to win. But it's just a matter of if they can do that, when they can do that. And I think that's that's a really strong point just that goes to the storytelling of Marvel. I, I think that essentially covers what the Avengers was. like. Uh, I, I, one of the best parts about it is that it took uh, a lot of like a lot of build up and actually gave a sense of satisfaction towards you know what that build up was for like it, it brought these personalities together but it did, and it made them conflict between each other but like uh it also kind of like ended that conflict uh, that was there between each of the characters and then you know had them team up it, 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 i don't know how to put it but like that, that feeling you get when the, there's a 360 degree shot of all of the superheroes kind of combined, ready to take on. It's like your inner childhood kind of comes out and you're just like, holy shit, this is amazing. 
I mean, to be fair, it was 2012. That is that is still my childhood. Yeah, that was my childhood too. <laughs> How old was that? I? Was, I was 17 at that point. Like, I was a little... But... Uh, I was 12. 13? 13. Um, I, was, I was bar mitzvah age. <laughs> <laughs> I was a man in, in God's eyes. <laughs> um, yeah, um... Uh, I, I think um, yeah, I, I think it, it does this thing where um, it's hard. It's very hard for movies to do, but it, it does this thing where it, it kind of like appeals to you on an emotional level. It appeals to a visual level, and then it also appeals to you in just like a, a film level. Like it, it's just like a good, well put together movie, and you have to give props to Joss Whedon for what he did for that movie. Definitely. This is not an easy task. Like not a lot of directors could have been able to do this. And he was somehow able to do this entire. So it was just essentially very impressive. And I think an interesting thing that happened in this movie was a lot of storytelling was done through fight scenes. Like this movie was almost 50% people fighting each other, yet the story still came across because of of the way they had people fight and and who was fighting who and you could you gained a lot. I could watch this movie and just see the fight scenes and understand what was going on in the movie and the premise. I think that's really yeah, interesting. Definitely. Like, um, you know, between the fight that happens between Captain America, Iron Man, and uh, Loki, at the, like, well, Captain America and Iron Man are kind of on the same side, and they arrest Loki. Then the entire thing of, like, the fight between uh, um, Thor, Captain America, and... Uh, Iron Man again, I think. Yep. And then it kind of like then the entire aspect of like they get put together on the helicarrier and all the shit that happens with that, the conflict that happens. It, at one point, it wasn't even a fight scene; it was just a back and forth of the conversation that was going on between each of them. And that itself kind of gave you an idea as to how each of them views each, like how um, you know Steve Rogers views Tony Stark, how. Thor looks down upon every single one of them because they're not as strong as he is. And it kind of gives you like an inner look into characters as well with these like small two, three lines. So like essentially it's a very impressive film and uh, I think it, the Avengers was the point where you can kind of realize that this is something uh, bigger. Like this is something that's gonna turn into like a, a whole other thing where it's gonna spawn a bunch of other movies and it's gonna be an actual cinematic universe. Yeah, and the and sort of on that note is like this came out at a time where a superhero movie, you know, this is twenty twelve. A superhero movie is either super cheesy and campy and like not a good film. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know the old supermans or stuff like that uh or or people sort of saw it as you had to sacrifice that fun for dark and edgy like the dark knight series that was going on at the same time mm-hmm. and the avengers and the whole of phase 1 did a really good job of you keep that seriousness and like you feel the gravity of the situation, you know, with the, like you said, with the fights and with storytelling through that, but you don't sacrifice the fun, which I feel like was a really important part of setting up what the MCU was going to be and what has made it so successful. 
I think the Avengers, uh, in my opinion, the, the very first Avengers, carries that level of maintaining a sense of, uh, like, exactly what you said. But I think it found the perfect blend of darkness and levity, which I, unfortunately, in my opinion, kind of got lost later on. I think, uh, I think it's almost like a, a, a sense of realism, essentially, is, like, there's these crazy characters that can do all this kind of, all this fantastic shit, and, like... Mm-hmm. They just, they're, they're being petty with each other and they're, they're letting their egos like fight each other. And it's like, I can, like, I, I see me doing that. I, I can see myself in cap shoes being pissed off with the arrogant shit that's, that is Tony Stark. I can also see myself being yeah. Thor and being super powerful and being like, you guys can't touch me. Like, you can see yourself in these situations. And I think that it brings like something that no superhero movie before it really brought, which is just like, a sense of realism and like I could see this happening. Like, take away the fact that he's a god and it could happen to me. No, it's um, it, it like it didn't have a massive amount of like singular character development, but the story development is what uh, essentially like made the movie what it is. And as you said, like you can kind of place yourself in their shoes, and the dialogue itself shows you how like they can, you know. I think the dialogue play, played a very strong part in like making you feel that I get what's going on over here. I see why they're talking about certain things the way that they are, and uh, like I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, but like essentially, it was just a great movie, and it was one of the best cinematic experiences like someone can have when they're seventeen, thirteen, or fifteen years old or whatever it was. Like for how old were you, Drew? Like fifteen? Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I guess 2012, that's what, six years ago? So yeah, yeah, 15, 14, 15. You aren't 21, you don't fake it. Well, it was, it, you know what? <laughs> All right, we'll, 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 we'll put you at 14. Four, but, I was uh, 14 and a half. <laughs> well, sure, you were 14 and a half, because that, that's something that makes a huge difference. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, I don't know. Re- it's it's also a movie that if you, it's got that aspect of rewatchability where you can watch it every while and you don't really get tired of watching the Avengers, which can happen with like singular movies. Like I think there's a limit to how many times you watch Captain America: The First Avenger. There's a limit to there's obviously a limit to how many times times you can watch the first Thor. Uh, Iron Man's another movie. I, I think Iron Man and the Avengers kind of have this thing where they have a high level of rewatchability where you can actually watch it again and again every once in a while and you don't really get tired. And that's one put, of the reasons why. Yeah, go ahead. What were you saying? I'd put, I'd put like Winter Soldier up there too. I think that's a, a, a very rewatchable oh. movie for the same reasons. It's not a superhero movie. It's just a movie with superheroes in it. I think that's a, this common theme through all of them. The Winter Soldier is a fantastic espionage movie. But in the Captain America universe. I think that's the way to put it. Yeah. And uh, no, definitely Winter Soldier is probably, out of all the movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Winter Soldier is probably the movie that I've watched the most amount of times. Uh, The only thing I would say maybe competes with it, and which is another movie we're going to discuss in phase two, is Guardians of the Galaxy. Both of these movies are highly rewatchable, and they're the height of phase two for me. Like, uh, yeah. like, uh, okay, so since we're done with Avengers, we're going to go into Phase 2 right now, which is the very first movie was Iron Man 3. This is by far one of my most conflicting movies. 
<laughs> I like it. I think I, I think it it does such a good job with like that aspect of things. You know, him dealing with anxiety and like a post traumatic stress disorder from going dealing with like you know aliens and things like that, but. God, the villain sucked in this movie. I was so hyped for a Mandarin showing. Oh my god! And if that's all they did with the Mandarin, if you if there's not like another Mandarin that shows up and does some shit, I'm gonna be. That's that maybe my biggest disappointment with the entire Marvel universe because the Mandarin is such See, a fantastic my, villain. Exactly. My biggest disappointment with it. My biggest disappointment yeah. with the movie wasn't even the Mandarin. As disappointed as I was with the Mandarin, it was. You know, I went into this movie. I heard. Uh, like the Avengers and phase one was like what got me into being sort of more of a comic book uh, nerd. Mm-hmm. And so when I heard Iron Man three was coming out like the next year and I hear, Oh, they're using this storyline called extremists. And they're like, it's this, ca- it's this comic storyline from a few years ago. And I'm like, all right, I'll read this storyline. And the comic of extremists is one of the best stories I've ever read. And then the way they completely butchered it in the movie and took none of the best parts of the storyline and that comic run just really, I feel like, was such wasted potential. Like, uh, so uh, that's something like, that's... uh... You know, it kind of also happens with Captain America Civil War, where Civil War had a much different ending in terms of the comic itself, as opposed to what happens in the movie in itself. So, like, I, I don't give it too much shit in terms of, like, not extremist storyline, but the way that it fucked up Mandarin, it, like, yeah, it's I think... hard to forgive a movie for this. And I have genuine respect for Shane Black. Like, I love Kiss Bang Bang. And, uh, like, I, I think it's a really well done movie. And, this came out a few years after uh, the Avengers. I love the night, so I have a I have genuine respect for Shane Black as a director. But this movie was an absolute fucking shit show. Well, I think that this is kind of the if you go on the opposite end of of the Thor, Iron Man two spectrum, where it's yeah. the 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 studio needed to take a little bit more control of this movie because it just it was it was a. A good. I, I haven't seen any Shane Black. From what I've heard, it's a good Shane Black movie. It, it fits his description. And I understand there's like creative liberties, and you don't want to just watch a comic book. And like that's not fun for for people that read the comic books. But stay a little bit true to it. The Mandarin is a fantastic villain, definitely one of Iron Man's biggest. And he kind of just throws him away, and doesn't doesn't let you use it for the rest of the of the films. But. Zach, I don't know if you've ever read it, but uh, Devil in the Bottle, that, that's something that I feel would have been a fantastic Fantastic. That would have been a great... Because all of, of the other two, really... And, and even this one, it, it copes with how Tony Stark views himself, and it, it works... It, that's kind of the theme of Tony Stark throughout the whole MCU, and it, it happens in Civil War too. is what how he deals with things what he what his mindset is and that would have been a fantastic storyline in my opinion those who don't know it's like yeah. a it's like an alcoholism storyline yeah um, he deals with uh, alcohol addiction he deals with like it's he's doing good as iron man but it's like in his personal life he's going through a massive downfall and it it's something that they could have brought mixed in with the aspects of him having ptsd and dealing with like 
you know, it, he's fully delving into this like level of alcoholism that uh, is kind of shown in the movies. Like he's shown to be drinking every single time that he's in a scene or in most of the scenes that he has. But they went with this like, I, I don't know why extremism is the storyline they decided to go with. And if you wanted to bring in the Mandarin to that, you could have the Mandarin even, I would be fine with like the Mandarin almost more as like a mental villain, kind of how Baron Zemo was, where he's just kind of like fucking with Tony Stark and just like messing with his mind and getting bad thoughts into his head and just mentally attacking him instead of just like the terrorist that he is. And if you really want to having, switch it up. And having that kind of storyline with an actor like Robert Downey Jr. who literally went through that exact thing. Exactly. feels yeah. like it's just like, missing that is like what are you doing with your franchise when you don't use such a clearly like well-suited pair like that like this is almost as bad of a tragedy as like facing a movie called the november man in august (laughs) it's it was just such a well put together setup where you had a guy who had to deal with these kind of things and then you could have done it so well following the Avengers. You could have given Tony Stark and the character a real sense of development leading into phase two. But it just like, it went with this like, I, I don't know whose idea it was to put this together, all these things together, but like Iron Man 3 was a sincere disappointment to me. I even then, like the setup of like stick, sticking him in the middle of nowhere with a little kid and like figuring out how to get out of there with nothing. Like just like the yeah, first that one. Weird. That was a, I mean, that was a good concept. I just ruined it. And like, and like the kid, the kid kind of got just got like, I don't know. The kid was great and everything like that, but like at the end of it, they just kind of left him. Like, it, yeah, like, that was it. Like the kid was never seen. There was no closure with it. Like the storyline just left it so open. Yeah, that storyline kind of died and got abandoned. And like speaking of storyline, like it's. The whole end of that movie is Tony, yeah, you know, beats Aldrich Killian, who's the worst villain fucking ever, and then uh-huh. he blows up all his suits and gets his arc reactor taken out. And then in the next fucking movie that he appears in, he's back to being Iron Man, and it's just completely ignored. So that like they try for this character development, but then they're like, nah, fuck that. We're selling toys. We're making more movies. Like, if Some you're going to end of a trilogy, have it be the end of Iron Man, that's one thing, but it's clearly not where you want to end Iron Man, so why even pretend to? Like, I mean, I don't think that there is no Iron Man 4. I think that was the essential end of Iron Man. So, uh, I don't know. Like, it was just a very... Like, Iron Man had the opportunity to be possibly the the best, uh, I guess, trilogy. And two slightly ruined it, but Demon in a Bottle could have been a great way to bring it back and make it like this fantastic story arc for Iron Man itself, for Tony Stark itself, and it didn't. Well, depending on what you did with Demon in the Bottle, I think even it could have improved Iron Man too. if you talk about how he's dealing with the fact that his father pushed down... um, the, the, these other families to get to the top and that he has a lot of his success because because he shoved other people to the bottom and he's going through this mental kind of struggle that makes Iron Man 2 a better movie 
But no, but I'm pretty sure like one of the things that they talked about in Iron Man 2 was like his dad didn't push out Vanko. It was more like Vanko wanted to use it for weapon weapons production and things like that. Whereas his dad wanted to use it for more along the lines of uh, like unlimited energy and things like that. And that's well, it wasn't they, like they, they tried very hard to make Howard Stark look like a really, really good person. Yeah. Without making him like without tainting him in any way like they do with Tony in the beginning. Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean he can't go through the same struggle. He, like, Mako says stuff to him, and he's not just going to, like, disregard it. I don't know. Like, uh, I, I mean, I think I think that's... We're going to have to shit on another movie following this right now, because the next one is Thor The Dark World. Oh, God, no. Uh, I think we Worst can, one. We can just reduce it to the fact that, like, this movie just absolutely was useless in the cinematic universe it, it, it had very few moments of redemption maybe like you know it, you, you get that one moment of like uh loki's humanity when he deals with the fact that his uh, adoptive mom has just died and it shows you that he does have a sense of attachment to people so but apart from that this movie made yeah and then and then no he sense. pretends to die and <laughs> it just yeah like I, I, what was that like the, the purpose of that in its entirety. I, I mean, I, gun to my head, I could maybe name the villain in, in Thor once out of like 20 times. <laughs> oh, you mean Malekith? You mean Malekith? Yeah, Malekith. Ninth, ninth Doctor Christopher Eccleston in the worst role he could have ever chosen. What? What is his motivation? I still don't know his motivation. His motivation is just I mean, his motivation is to get the ether, which is an infinity stone, I guess. But, but no, that's the thing. They never tell you why he wants the ether. He just wants it, and you're just exactly. I mean, if you look at it, if you look at it in the context of the MCU, it is sort of a similar uh, story to how uh, in Guardians, uh, Ronan wants the power stone for himself to destroy Xandar. You know, Malekith wants the ether because it's an infinity stone and it'll help him beat, I guess, Odin is his enemy, but I don't know. But, like, the I thing do, about I Malekith do, uh... is they don't define him well, like you said, and no, he kind of plays absolutely... second fiddle to Loki in the movie. I view, I view Ronan as more of like a domestic terrorist type where he wants to clear out a race and he wants to be dominant. And, and Malekith has nothing I don't understand at all. Yeah, no, they don't like, develop him at all. Yeah. yeah I, I guess this is how I put it. Like, he's also dealing with like an inferiority complex because he's kind of Thanos' uh, like, bitch. There's no other way to put it. Like, <laughs> he wants to kind of fight off against it. Uh, which is one of the reasons why you can kind of also see it in this character where he's just like, he tries to be more powerful than he is. And then it's just like Thanos is just like, you know, silence boy or something like that. So there's something like that. But I watched Thor The Dark World and I legitimately can't remember any scene with Malekith like as, you know, what exactly made him a villain. Like, okay, not what exactly made him a villain, but what exactly made him like a good villain or what gave us his what gave his character any purpose. He was just kind of there. And instead of putting in like two half-formed villains, they could have just gone with one good villain. 
like do you know what i'm saying yeah no i i completely agree like they if they took time to show any of his character other than i need the ether like it could have been something but they didn't and they don't and instead they focus on whatever Kat Dennings character name is and her how like all the stupid comedy bits she does and her friends do and I don't know it's it's lost uh, yeah. in the uh, bad romance plot between in uh Jane and Thor it's lost in the again with Loki being the betraying brother like, they, yeah they completely abandoned that in Thor Ragnarok don't forget about that like it, thank it, god well, thank it, God, just, yeah. Jeez. Like, I mean, it's just completely gone away. Because it's, it was terrible. It was so bad. Yeah, but, like, in, in terms of the, then you have, like, two films where this character is, like, supposed to be, you know, uh, we build Jane Foster along with Thor throughout Thor 1 and Thor 2, and then it's just like, well, fuck it. It doesn't exist anymore. So, like, it, it even, like, Thor Ragnarok just downgrades how, uh, like, there's a small sense of... Uh, Redemption that was done in Thor: The Dark World. Yeah, I, I didn't miss her at all. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I prefer the discontinuity over having to deal with Jane Foster for another third movie. Yeah, Jane like, Foster was one of the worst characters they made. Well, and P- Natalie Portman didn't give a shit about the character, so why should I no, give a shit absolutely. about the character? <laughs> and like, <laughs> Natalie Portman's yeah. a good actress. Natalie Portman is a good actress. Like, she has shown that she can act well, and she just didn't well they also didn't give her anything to play with her character was literally just like a consistent like uh i guess she it's comparable to what they kind of did with uh her character and you know uh attack of the clones to revenge of the sith yeah no yeah yeah but but still like if you don't put any effort into to to making your character relatable or entertaining at all then I'm not going to be entertained or related to it. No, it completely makes sense. So anyway, we discussed Thor Ragnarok, I mean, Thor the Dark World way more than it should have been discussed. No, it, it, was, it was just a disappointing film altogether. Number but, one film in the MCU. Absolutely. I, like, I watch it every day. <laughs> and, uh, like, following that, though, it, it gave, like, the MCU gave me one of my favorite movies, uh, in their entire like run of 17 movies. That was Captain America the Winter Soldier. And I genuinely love this movie. It, it introduced us to like the Russo brothers in terms of, you know, the way that they tell stories, the way that they direct the movie, the way that they direct action, which is amazing. And uh, I, I just love this movie. I, I think it's fantastic. I could almost argue, you know, between it and Iron Man, like one being the best Marvel movies that came out. And uh, I, I, it just did a great job. I, I like rewatching it. That final scene where you know they kind of just breaking down Shield and breaking down everything that was at one point uh, supposed to be this entire like secret organization that takes care of the world, realizing that it's fully corrupt and you have to start from the beginning. I, I love this movie. It's like there's no other way to put it. I'm gonna uh, confess a little bit. Um... After seeing Captain America 1 and not liking it, and then seeing Iron Man 3 and not liking it, and then seeing Thor 2 and not liking it, 
I was I'd given up on Captain America 2. I was like, this is going to be a terrible movie. Like, I'll just wait for the next Avengers. So I didn't see it until right before Avengers 2 when I was binging all of them. Yeah. And it was one of the biggest regrets I have cinematically <laughs> because just like it's a fantastic movie. It's just so well done. I mean, your thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, not a surprise. Great movie. Uh, I mean, I think the best thing that it does, I think, is like you said, taking S.H.I.E.L.D., this thing that, you know, in the beginning of the Marvel Universe, we're told is, you know, the overarching force of good in this universe and already you know, not even halfway through our universe already, we're saying, fuck that, we're throwing it in the trash, S.H.I.E.L.D. is corrupt, everything's corrupt, it's just a very timely story that I think they did really well, like, it's a just a great film in that sense, because in our modern world, where we're suspicious of government, government is suspicious of us, they're watching us and listening to everything we say, and then we see this movie where that echoes it. Yeah, has this poison inside it. It's just so good and so just. Oh, I love this movie. <laughs> like, I, I nearly wrote my final paper, uh, like for my film analysis class, on this film in itself because of how well it kind of just does this entire thing of dealing with realism, dealing with like. Uh, it sets up a conversation that's, or not, it doesn't set up a conversation, but it discusses a conversation in a superhero movie that's immensely applicable to the real world, where what is the exact line between privacy and security? And that is something that's like, it's hard to make that appealing in a film. And this movie does it. I also think a really interesting thing that this movie does is that it sets up the kind of best part of the MCU, which is that these movies can now become different genres other than superhero. They can become a mystery thriller. They can become a stupid comedy like what Ant-Man is. They can be this sci-fi thriller like Guardians of the Galaxy. And they can be a, a, a almost a political thriller in, in Civil War. Like It's such a combination of all these different things. Which And I think it starts in this movie. I, I think this, was, this movie was that point where... like. I'm gonna. This is gonna be our second DC reference, which is I say almost almost 35 minutes after the first one. But um, there was that element of like Iron Man is comparable to Batman Begins in the sense that these are it's a fantastic introduction, like introduction to the characters. For me, Captain America: The Winter Soldier was uh, MCU's equivalent to something like The Dark Knight. Not in terms of like oh these are. You know, they are really good movies, and Dark Knight is probably one of my favorite all-time movies, but the Dark Knight it represented itself as like um, almost like a mystery, not a mystery thriller, but like a thriller film, very much like uh, Michael Mann's Heat from 1995, while Captain America the Winter Soldier was an, like, it, it did this entire thing where it was like a spy thriller. It was, it had this, these elements of Jason Bourne, elements of James Bond, and like uh, put it all together into this character. And I think that, like, the fact that it, it went over and beyond what just a superhero movie is, and it became, like, a very, very well-done movie. Yeah, no, I mean, I I 
have said like before, like I think Winter Soldier, if it didn't have Captain America in it, could have been a successful movie on its own. Like it's if it was like you said, like a James Bond movie or just a generic if there was just a movie called The Winter Soldier and it's about a guy who works in the CIA or something and there's like all the same stuff happens, but you take the character names and you change them and you take the histories and change them. Like I still think the movie just works. And that's really a testament, I think to the Russos, obviously. Uh, I think they they show, they showed in that movie in civil war. And I think, I hope they're going to show in infinity war, why they are sort of, John Favreau and Josh Whedon might have started this universe, but I think they're going to show that they kind of are the defining voices of the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just, it's a testament to this concept of the cinematic universe that they can just, like you said, take these different kinds of stories and make them into superhero stories. Yeah, like, uh, uh, go ahead. What were you saying? I was just, I don't have much to add. This movie's fantastic from top to bottom, in my opinion. I think it has one of the most, one of the best supporting casts from Redford as a villain, which no one expected. Uh, I thought Sebastian Stan did a fantastic job, and he didn't say a word, and he 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 just portrayed so much emotion, and you could just mm-hmm. see, um. Scarlett Johansson did a great job. Anthony Mackie was fantastic. Like this whole cast together, it was kind of like underwhelming when I first looked at it. They all just pulled through and it was fantastic from top to bottom. They had twists, they had turns, but it wasn't like corny. It wasn't like M. Night Shyamalan stuff. No, this movie was, the Marvel Cinematic Universe can be kind of corny. It can be very corny at times. This movie was far and beyond away from it. And I, I love this movie for that. Like, and, and it's like, I don't know. Watching this movie at any point, I just become happy because it's such a good movie. It's like that, that kind of an emotion that comes out for me. It's just so well done. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I actually, I have a question for you guys, I guess. Um, yeah. Not really a question, but like, it's an observation I have. And I guess I'll ask if you guys agree or not. Um, sort of based on what Zach was just saying about the supporting cast being so good. I think like he said, uh, Black Widow and Scarlett Johansson is amazing in this movie. But I think I started to notice with this movie, like this is sort of where I saw and started to think that Black Widow shouldn't have her own movies. Not in the sense of, oh, she's, you know, Black Widow. I don't want Black Widow to have a movie. But Mm -hmm. I think she, Scarlett Johansson, and the character of Black Widow works so amazingly as Mm -hmm. the support for people like Captain America, like Iron Man, and in the Avengers movies that I feel like it would hurt her character in the universe to try to focus on her too long in her own movie. And I think it would just draw attention to the flaws in the character rather than highlighting the strengths like it does in this movie. What do you guys think? So, no, I, I I do agree with you in the sense that like 
if uh, not even as a second lead, but like as a co-lead, I think she she's a fantastic character. Mm-hmm. But we kind of got to see what happened with such a movie when like they made Red Sparrow, which is oh my a god, close equivalent of what Black Widow's origins would have been like. And I'm pretty sure that's what they were trying to go for, and that movie did terribly. Yeah, yeah. Red I mean, Sparrow yeah, I have, I have no desire to. Red Sparrow black. is the one movie where I uh, regretted having a movie pass. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no desire to see a, a, a Black Widow movie. I think her character is is fleshed out enough. I don't think that she does anything interesting enough as a superhero to keep it captivated for an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, I mean, great character, but I have no desire to see it to see a, a Black Widow movie. Like, I would kind of love. I I don't want to see one thing. Uh, what do you call it? Like, I know this. There's a discussion behind this, but like a origin story, and I don't want to see that. because one of the things that makes her character so interesting is that we don't have the answer to what made her hurt. Like, if yeah, you, I mean, like we have, you, like we have the glimpse ahead, of like Ultron and stuff, right? But like, yeah, you don't want. The curtain peeled back. You don't want all of the answers. Like, exactly. You don't want every single question answered because the moment that happens, that removes the element of mysticism that surrounds her character. And that's one of the things that makes her character so great. Like, why did her introduction in Iron Man 2 do so well? Was that, like, apart from the fact that, like, you know, she had a, a pr- pretty awesome fight scene and things like that, it's the fact that, like, you don't really know what her character is, but her character is incredibly, like, uh, it grabs your attention. And I think that's one of the things that carried over into uh, her, like, you know, her role in the Avengers, and you get to kind of see her relationship build with uh, Hawkeye, or her role in Winter Soldier, where you get to see her, equi- like, how she uh, she has, like, her own dark side, but she also has a very strong center and things like that. If you go into her history, then you just get all the questions answered that might just remove what makes her character so great. I would mm. love to see her, like, not in her, like, I, I get what you're saying. Like, it's hard for someone without any superpowers or anything like that to keep someone's interest throughout an entire film. But I would love to see her just co-lead a movie. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, we might get to see it in Captain Marvel, possibly, because it is a movie based in the 90s. I have absolutely no idea, like, what's going to happen with that. But I think she's a very strong character. I hope not. I hope we, with the, with the first uh, female superhero movie in the MCU, I hope we give it to that, to that superhero. I think Captain Marvel can easily carry a, a, a movie by herself, and I think that adding another character like Black Widow is just a crutch that's unnecessary. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you need to add her to like that movie in particular, maybe, but mm-hmm. I agree, Kush, that like adding her as a co-star like she sort of is in winter soldier like adding her as a co-star in movies like this is exactly where she shines the best yeah and like uh yeah i, I think uh i gained immense respect for character in winter soldier in itself because you get to see her character like flourish you get to see her, between the interactions that she has with uh with nick fury her interactions with uh Steve, uh, Steve Rogers, and like just just her general inter- her her scene where she's talking to the Senate, it, it's an iconic scene. Like I, I've rewatched that scene multiple times because it's towards the end of Winter Soldier, and it's just so well done. That shows you that like she's willing to like you know uh, she she like does these like dark aspect things where she does like cold 
missions and things like that, but she still has this aspect of like, I'm trying to do good in this world and I'm trying to um, kind of deal with the fact that my past is not that Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's about it. But <laughs> like, okay, so I, I think we can all across Winter Soldier is a fantastic film and probably in our top few Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that statement. It's my second favorite. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we can move on to another one, which is probably the riskiest move that uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, Marvel Universe took, apart from Iron Man, and that's Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I, this is another. This is kind of in my dark, dark Marvel days where I, I didn't see this movie either because I was like, I don't want to watch a raccoon fight with a tree. <laughs> that's like, this is stupid. <laughs> like again should have seen this movie earlier fantastic movie best comedy in the mcu hands up so uh i've i've rewatched guardians of the galaxy a lot of times like and obscene amount of times mainly because like i i watched it when it came out and then i'm I rewatched it a couple of other times with my friends, and then like I would meet people that haven't watched Guardians of the Galaxy. No, we gotta watch this movie because it's so much fun. And that's one of the things that I realized is this is the definition of a super. Like, this is uh, this is like what the traditional definition of what a comic book is come to life in a film form. And that's something I realized as like uh, the movie went along. It deals with this entire thing of like it, it does this traditional hero's journey kind of thing, but it does it with a team and it introduces these side characters. You have your have your tears, you have like all of the elements that are required in an emotion film, action packed superhero film. And I love this movie for that. Yeah, I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy, I feel like sort of like Winter Soldier, how Winter Soldier works as it could work as a standalone espionage style film. Guardians of the Galaxy is a great like space opera type film that like it's just transcends. I think it's kind of when like Marvel realized like we we could do whatever we want because we're gonna make it work. We could take all these crazy risks because uh, we have we have loyal fans that are willing to, to to test this out with us and we could successfully do these things i mean yeah they took a space movie with a raccoon a talking tree they said hey let's get the guy who directed the scooby-doo movie and (laughs) he just fucking threw it together and made a billion dollars like it's i don't know how much money the first one made but it's just the idea is so wacky that when it works so well it's that much better I completely fucking forgot that they, James Gunn wrote the Scooby-Doo movies. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, unpopular opinion. I love those movies. Apparently, people don't. I think <laughs> Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo 2 are amazing comedies, but that's 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 a discussion for another time. Okay, I, I think that, yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely a discussion for another time. Like, I think I was maybe a little too old for when Scooby-Doo came out. Scooby-Doo 2 came out. I was, I think I was a for the first Scooby-Doo. I was seven years old. I fucking loved Scooby-Doo as a cartoon and it didn't really bother me. But I was like nine or 10. I, I think I was nine when Scooby-Doo 2 came out. And 
I think I'd gone to the point where I'm like, what the fuck am I watching right now? I, d- I didn't see any of them. I can't, I can't <laughs> talk about this. I may have been well, too young. We'll, we'll talk about those some other pod. But Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do an episode down. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but Guardians? Uh, yeah, like, James Gunn did super, so, like, that's what I knew him. Uh, I, I really, like, I thought the movie was pretty cool. Uh, I know he did other movies as well, but, like, Super itself was just a really cool movie. So, I knew him from that, and then, uh, but I didn't really know him that well enough, but, like I'm a huge fan of the guy after, like now I've been following him uh, a lot in terms of like the filmmaking. But anyway, going back to Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Zach, your thoughts? Or yeah, you- I yeah. Go ahead. I loved it. I think its rewatch value for me um, is not as strong as it is for you, Kush. I think it kind okay. of wanes on you a little bit after a little bit. Its charm kind of wears off, and you kind of see. The villain's kind of basic. Plotline's kind of basic. Um, but again, I I have no problem when someone requests a movie and it's Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm like, oh, absolutely, I'll watch that movie. It's just, and the first time I watched it, I loved it. But the more I watch it, the more the little problems with it happen for me. Uh, I still love the movie. I think it's a great movie. But again, villain was not as strong as it could have been, um, which is a classic Marvel um, mistake. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a really solid movie. Yeah, best comedy in the MCU. Yeah, no, so, I I definitely agree that Ronan could have been a lot better, and oh, yeah. I think a chance they have right now with uh, Captain Marvel is knowing her uh, connection with the Kree. I think if they can bring in a Ronan. Uh, you know, a younger uh, Ronan from a decade before we see him in Guardians or two decades of whatever. I think if they can bring him in, flesh his character out a bit more in that movie, I think it could redeem that part, which I think is, which I agree is the weakest part of Guardians. But at the same time, I completely agree with Kush. Like, it is... Guardians, I think, is maybe the second or third most rewatchable film in this whole franchise for me. Like, the jokes, the the visuals, the characters are just so enjoyable that, you know, as long as I'm not watching them a day after each other, like, just watching this movie never gets old for me. Like, I, I put Guardians of the Galaxy in the sense that it's uh, good escapism. Like, there's bad escapism, which is yeah. the Transformers movies. Oh, God. So, but Guardians of the Galaxy, for me, is like, it doesn't have a, it has a very, very generic villain. It has a very simple hero's journey style storyline where a person deals with a tragedy, it makes them who they are, et cetera, et cetera, and then they fight off against the big bad, and then they end up winning at the end of it. But it's the way that it's done, and the way that the characters the way that the dialogue is, the way the movie looks while you're watching the movie. It's all of these things that, like, that for me, just put this movie above and beyond a significant amount of superhero movies and above and beyond a significant amount of uh, Marvel Cinematic movies. And at the end of it, this is one of those movies that, like, actually makes me feel during the movie. And that's, like, that's something that I don't really feel from a lot of Marvel 
cinematic universe movies like i don't feel a strong sense of like they, they try to shy away from a strong like level of emotion or strong depth of emotion because it's harder to do something like that and make it appealing but guardians of the galaxy does manage to do and i think that's why i respect this movie so much Yeah, I think it, I don't think there's much to debate about this one. I think that this is 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 by far one of the most impressive things that Marvel has done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just in fact, in terms of in terms of, I'm gonna we're gonna take a, a raccoon, a talking tree, some big dude with tattoos, uh, a green girl, and Chris Pratt, and we're gonna make a superhero movie. Yeah, I mean, like, take, also, and and look, it works. This launched uh, Dave Bautista's character, uh, not character, career. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I was, yeah, I was about to say, like, look at the people they cast in this movie. Like, not only is it a weird-ass fucking movie, but they took the chubby guy from Parks and Rec. They took, yep. uh, I guess Zoe Saldana was already Zoe Saldana. Yeah. But Zoe Saldana was the only, like, actually, like, uh, I guess. She was the only predictable person. Established. Uh, film actress or well like anyone from like established films zoe saldana was yeah they took imagine they being took... the guy in the in the room who's like guys i've got a great idea for this superhero movie let's let's get vin diesel not use him except to use three words and animate over him the entire time and then who was the person that was like oh great idea or... like, that's fantastic also let's I, get I an bet oscar it was... nominated actor bradley cooper but don't give him any screen time <laughs> <laughs> and don't let him sound yeah, like himself. Level of yeah, and the, just have him be a. Okay, what do we want to do with Bradley Cooper then? Let's have him voice a fucking raccoon. That's what we want him to do. So, like, this is just a crazy movie that was just pulled off so well together. And I, like, I don't know. I, I think this movie also impresses me in this. Like, it led to Dave Bautista being in Blade, Blade Runner 2049. It led to him being in a bunch of other movies. And it, like, launched this guy's career and he's actually a really good actor yeah but it also took him away from wwe which i don't like so uh wwe guys what can i say like uh, yeah i mean i remember watching wwe like uh late 2000s ish uh and it's pretty great like he was pretty chill during evolution times and then post evolution he was all pretty cool character the, the dude is amazing, and like he was there for like ten minutes in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and he nearly made me forget that this is like this is Batista. You know what I'm saying? Batista bomb. And it's like <laughs> I. I, <laughs> uh, I mean, like, like, but on that Batista note, just quickly, like, I really think this movie, Guardians of the Galaxy two showed like his amazing comedy side but i think yeah he sort of has a little ways to go because like unlike the rock he has sort of shown that he wants to be good in comedy and drama yeah roles. He, wants, he wants to be a more dramatic actor he wants to do more along the lines of like story like you know deep storyline kind of based movies and i think during one interview he said that like it's he these are the kind of movies that he wants to do but it's hard to i'll tell you the exact quote while you talk about it i'll tell you the exact quote that he had where um what was it like oh yeah uh 
there's something along the lines of like it, it's hard to oh yeah um he talked about how it's hard to become a nuanced character actor when you have the body of a yeah oh yeah no i mean like i go through that problem all the time I'll take it seriously because of my okay. spectacular body. <laughs> okay, Tweety but, but, like, yeah. No, I mean, I think that's an important evolution for him to go through, and I hope he can do it, but at the same time, like, I am really impressed with him in this movie and in Guardians 2, and I'm really looking forward to him in Hotel Artemis. That looks awesome. Mm-hmm. But his roles in... 2049 well 2049 it wasn't bad but it was just short and didn't really develop him like he didn't really have a character to develop or anything he was in for like what five minutes and yeah, yeah. he had a very small role in this film in the movie but like it's it's not like i forgot that he was in the movie no like but it's but hard to be unforgettable the, when you're in the movie for like seven minutes the one black mark i'd say so far is like inspector i it wasn't a great role and he really didn't do much with it and I hope he can rebound from that and sort of be good in these roles where he's not just you know Drax being goofy because I really want to see him do well because he's freaking awesome yeah so I, I would say this I I think Drax in um, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 was a in my opinion, a better character than he is in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. But yeah. th- that also has to do with the fact that like, I, I, like, I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 was a, a pretty sizable step down from the first one. I think and we can get into that later, but... Yeah, we're going to have to get into that one. I'll, I just yeah, I'll, I'll save my opinion for that for when we get to Phase 3 in Guardians 2, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I think there's an overall agreement. Again, Guardians of the Galaxy, people loved it, and we can go into Avengers too because this is going to be a pretty interesting conversation. I think I'm going to have a conflicting opinion from the two of you. I have no idea, but like Avengers Age of Ultron was... I didn't really enjoy the movie. Oh, I don't know if you can say that. It definitely wasn't as good as the other Avengers movie, at least, but (laughs) it's still an enjoyable movie. Like You go into that movie and you leave happy. You see... Thor shoot lightning at robots, and you see Quicksilver run around and do shit. And I think it's an enjoyable movie. I don't think it's as fleshed out a movie as the other ones are. I don't think it's as good of a movie as the other Avengers is. I don't think it does the same job and as well. But that dinner scene, that dinner party scene is a good scene. I think you leave that movie satisfied. It's just not a great movie. See, that's like I left. I left Avengers: Age of Ultron underwhelmed that was the thing for me like i i I think i I went and expecting a different kind of movie i think that was the biggest issue that i had with the movie was like my expectations for the movie of what it would be like turned out to be very different from what it was yeah leaving underwhelmed leaving underwhelmed i can understand but i wouldn't say i didn't enjoy it i mean it's like Zach said, it's fun. It's still a superhero movie. It's still big. It's still the Avengers, the second time you're ever seeing them. But I do agree that it missed on a lot of important points. I think Ultron is really bad 
as a villain, I think they completely butchered what he should have been and what he seemed to be, like you said, whatever it was now, like an hour ago or something. When they sh- like showed that first trailer for Ultron, he seems like a really terrifying, badass robot. Like Exactly. Yeah. And then he's just cracking jokes all movie, and it's weird. And I get that sort of the like, tone, but I agree that that's not the right tone for this. But at the same time, I agree with Zach. Like, it has enough good parts that I wouldn't say it was bad, mm-hmm. but it's not what it could have been. I think, yeah, I think the difference is, and like Drew said, it's like the difference between expectations and the actual movie. Like, you go to that movie with no expectations, I think you love that movie. But since you go into it with the expectations of, oh, it's going to be like Avengers 1, except better with more superheroes. It's not going to live up to it. So my expectations for the movie, like, I definitely going in knew that it's going to be hard like the Avengers. It's just hard to do that because there's always that element of, like, the the, the first, uh, you know, the first time something happens, there's a, a level of charm that's attached to it, a level of, like, it's going to have a softer spot in your heart every single time because it did it for the first time. But Age of Ultron, my expectation was a much stronger God. And that's because of the trailers that were put out for the movie. I think it might have been like the marketing, like I guess the marketing campaign fucked up in terms of what the movie was supposed to be. But my my expectations from the movie was, was like, like it's gonna delve into the like this, you know, this entire thing of like they're facing off something that like they definitely have no idea what they can actually come out of it, uh, you know, victorious. And I didn't feel that during uh age of ultron like there were scenes there were definite scenes where i felt like they feel a sense of hopelessness they feel a sense of like we have to do whatever we can but as a movie in itself i think it was weaker and not just like not uh than just the first avengers i think it was just a weaker film among among what it was following like it followed winter soldier guardians of the galaxy and then we got age of ultron and age of ultron was supposed to be the second avengers film so it had a thing to live up to, and it failed at that level. I don't know if it failed. I think we're being overly harsh because the first one was so good. I think it was still above. It's definitely in the top half. If we go by ranking Marvel movies, it's yeah. still top 10 for me, which is not a failure in such a competitive universe. Um, villain is still better than 80% of the other villains in the MCU. Um, I think the, the biggest problem is too much is jam-packed into it, I think. Because you're creating vision, and you have Ultron, and you have all this inner turmoil. But You also, don't, don't forget the fact that like they also had Scarlet Witch put into the thing, and then they had Quicksilver yeah. put into the movie. There was a lot and shoved into it, I would agree. They, they butchered the character of Quicksilver. Like, there was absolutely no purpose to his character. Well, they wanted to prove that they could kill somebody. I think... Yeah, I think... Like, yeah, if you're going to kill somebody, have, like, kill someone that the character, like, the audience is actually attached to. If you just kill off a character that's been in a movie for 15, 20 minutes, you're not going to feel anything. Yeah. You also, I, have, I, you also have a whole weird thing with Hawkeye's family and... I don't know. There's a lot of sh- yeah, shit they, shoved in they, there. They set it up weirdly where they're like, oh, oh, they're setting up Hawkeye. Oh, he's going to die. Oh, nope, it's Quicksilver. 
Exactly. Like, that was weird. Like, I mean, but, I guess that you killed off your first, like, you know, you, you did, like, a second major death, which is something that doesn't really happen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I felt way more for Coulson than I did for Quicksilver. I actually felt, actually, no, I felt like Coulson's death. Like, I understood, like, you know, this is a character that people had an, a level of attachment to. He was very humanized and things like that. And you had Quicksilver, who had a few, like, you know, quippy lines. And that's it. It's just like that death was meaningless. Yeah, no, it was pretty meaningless. I felt like that was pretty butchered. I I don't know. I've never, like, had this confirmed or anything. But, like, the fact that the X-Men movies were, yeah, you know, using Quicksilver, but not Scarlet Better Witch. Better than the Marvel movies were. Like, yeah, so, like, um... The fact that they had Quicksilver, but no Scarlet Witch, and then Marvel uses both, but kills off Quicksilver, and now uses Scarlet Witch, I feel like that was probably some sort of agreement they made, but, like, I don't know if I've ever heard that confirmed or not. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I think I also like the, the, the fact that the X-Men movies... Not ideal. The X-Men yeah, movies yeah. were doing Quicksilver, but they had those really cool scenes of him going in slow-mo and doing all that stuff that it, you couldn't make Quicksilver better than that. That was a really good portrayal yeah. of Quicksilver. So why try just get him out of there? But, uh... No, I, I, wait, I'm trying to remember. I think uh, Days of Future Past was 2014, right? Yeah, Days of Future before Past was right before this. Okay, okay. So yeah, Days of Future Past was 2014, and then uh, Age of Ultron came out almost a year after uh, Days of Future Past. Yeah. So, I, I get it, but like, it was still like a wasted character. Uh, and No, I'm definitely not going to say like Age of Ultron was a bad movie. And a very underwhelming movie. And like, that's just uh, as a fan of the entire cinematic universe and re-watching it, like, I felt underwhelmed like, while watching that movie. I feel like sort of similar to how Iron Man 2 was sort of a filler movie, sort of, uh, I guess Thor 2 was sort of a filler movie. I felt that sort of filler status with Ultron where it doesn't really contribute that much. You know, it sort of it, it sort of sets up the whole, ooh, the Avengers are kind of disagreeing with each other. That could set up Civil War, you know, it's yeah. set, it, it does more to set up other movies than to focus on itself and make itself a good movie. It also introduces, I think, uh, what was the, what's the Infinity Stone called? Was it the Mind Stone? Yeah, um, yeah it, it, it introduces the Mind Stone and Vision. Yeah. So, like, that was, that was, it felt more of a setup. Film. That's, yeah, you were right about that. It felt like a, a setup for, like, the, the, you know, that entire scene in the barn between, um, Captain America and Iron Man that kind of set, felt like a setup to Civil War and then uh, the Infinity Stone being added in felt like another setup building to Thanos and things like that. So And and Thor going in that weird sequence where he yeah, goes yeah. in the water is setting up Ragnarok weirdly and yeah. But again, like the, the tone of that like dream sequence was very different from Ragnarok. So it just felt like very off from everything else. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think at the end of it, it was just there were too many together, and that kind of screwed up the flow, which is why like you leave a little underworld. But you know, following that, we got Ant Man, which is very different to the rest, like almost every single other Marvel cinematic film. Like it straight up was 
almost like a buddy comedy kind of thing. I loved Ant-Man. I, that, that may be unpopular. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it did something unique. Yep. I thought that it was a great kind of Paul Rudd movie. And I, I, I loved it. I enjoyed it all the time. I would rewatch that movie yeah. all the time. No, I, I, I think Ant-Man is it. one of the best. I, I like. I don't think it's. Uh, see, I, I don't think it's like one of the best movies that Marvel put out or anything like that. But I did have fun watching Ant Man, and I did have fun rewatching Ant Man as well. Like, I, I have fun watching that movie. I'm not gonna classify it as like a a really great movie, but it's definitely a good fun movie. Yeah. And I think that's that's all you can really expect from like a weird like character like that. So and in terms of and be, yeah, go ahead. And in terms of comics, you needed that character in there, and no one was gonna accept that character if you try to take him too seriously. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, one of the things that like made Ant-Man better than what it should have been uh, was its supporting cast. I think it had a great And like, you know, the, the way that like uh, Michael Pena's characters play throughout the entire movie or Mike, like Michael Douglas, right? That's yeah, yeah Michael Douglas. Michael yeah. Douglas, yeah. His guy, like Hank Pym is also like, they play a good level between, you know, how it is and like they obviously don't go to the darker side of Hank Pym's character, but like they kind of still uh talk about it. Uh like I, I think they did a good job with like the supporting characters there. So uh, the supporting characters that were there. So um I'd say like it was better than what it should have been in my opinion. But it like I, for me it was a good fun movie. I don't think it was a great movie, but it was a good fun movie. Yeah, um, no, I think yeah. like the fight, the, the fight scene in the daughter's room, I thought was fantastically done oh, yes. with the uh, zooming in and out of like this guy chucks a train and then the Thomas the Tank Engine train just scatters across the floor and the giant ant. I thought all of that was hilarious and very well done. Like, uh, am I gonna like you know miss the fact that, or like I'm gonna regret the fact that like we never got to see what Edgar Wright's man would have been and that's something that i definitely you know i was super excited about the fact that like, they're like oh we're gonna make this superhero movie about a person who can shrink down to a minuscule size and has the power to command ants and things like that and edgar wright's directing it so that was what the movie like i i was sold on the movie that it was edgar wright doing uh so i'm obviously like that, that's something that i i'm sad that never happened but I completely agree that the way like Peyton Reed did the directing of the fight scenes and it was just really well done. Uh, and you're laughing and you're feeling like the action go through it. So like, I, I think it was really cool. It was a really good comedy. It was a good superhero. Film. Yeah, That's no, I think, I think they did a, a, exactly what they needed to do for the mm -hmm. amount of comedy and the amount of good action to make it a good movie, an enjoyable movie. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I... I think it's just another great example, like Guardians, where, like, nobody... Before the MCU exists, nobody's going to see an Ant-Man movie. Because, like, yeah. who, who cares about Ant-Man? But, like, you make this good you know, even if it was just a serviceable movie, but it's not, it's a, it's a really good movie. You make this good movie and so many people are going to come see it because it's Marvel because they trust this product and 
the fact that they can continue to deliver like this with characters like the Guardians, with Ant-Man, with weird characters like Doctor Strange, like it's just so impressive that they keep churning out these hits that just they haven't missed in so uh, long. And as well as they had a great tie into the MCU with the with the Falcon fight scene, like that's yeah. such a creative thing that they did that really worked out well. I just it's it's all very well done. It didn't take itself too seriously. One of the one of my favorite parts of the MCU, honestly. Uh, like yeah, uh, I like I I never felt that Ant Man particularly like for me was uh, a very memorable film. Like that's not something I felt, but. I did enjoy the movie, and I thought it was good fun. That's basically it. Uh, but then following that, we had Captain America Civil War, which uh, I'll let you guys go first, because I tend to lead. And like now we're entering Phase 3, so you guys can go first. All right. I mean... Drew, take it away. I'll, okay. Th- th- thanks, Zach. <laughs> I got your back, dude. Don't worry about it. I think Captain America Civil War... You know, coming into Phase 3, I, I still find it weird that they ended Phase 2 on Ant-Man instead of yeah. Avengers. That's always been weird to me. But Captain America Civil War, basically Avengers 2.5, you know, if you took out Age of Ultron and you just started with this, this could pretty much just be an Avenger movie. And I think there is not a single thing I would change about Civil War or that I would have changed, like, it's everything you could want from this movie, you know, without it being a direct retelling of the Civil War storyline, which, you know, you don't want direct retellings. I think they just do so much perfectly well in this movie, you know, the introduction of Black Panther, the splitting of the team, the airport fight scene, whatever you want to pull from this movie. Baron Zemo is so cool as a villain and so good because he's different from other Marvel villains. Like, it's just... You can point out any part of this movie and I can tell you why I love it. I just love this movie so much. Number one movie in the franchise for me. Yeah, my only problem with this movie is if you look at the teams and you have... One side with Iron Man, Spider-Man, Black Panther, Vision, Black Widow. That team is not losing. That team <laughs> kills any team it beats. Unless your team has the Hulk and Thor on it, it's, it doesn't matter. I don't care how powerful Scarlet Witch is. That's not happening. But besides that, I, I loved feel, it. I thought it was fantastic. I, I feel like they sort of ignore that on purpose to allow for the story. I mean, I think the point is Scarlet Witch and Vision are supposed to sort of be on equal footing, so they kind of cancel each other out. But I I can understand, like, if you're going to get, like, a little nitpicky and be like, yeah, you know, if you add up all the superheroes on one side, they should win. But, like, I feel like the movie does a good enough job of telling the emotional story that it allows you to ignore that and allows you to be like, all right, maybe if Iron Man's really trying 100%, he, you know, whatever, rockets them from a mile away and Captain America's team doesn't stand a chance. But 
at the same time, you know, you're able to ignore that because of the storytelling they're doing and because you're like being so enamored by the characters that are appearing on your screen that you don't really have time to think, oh, wait, technically, wouldn't that work? Wouldn't they win? Oh, wait, no, there's fucking Spider-Man. What? Yeah. So, here's what I would say. Uh, one thing I would address, uh, no matter how strong the other team is, Scarlet Witch is ridiculously fucking powerful. When you have but she doesn't have control of her powers yet. She's just figuring them yeah, out. Uh, th- that's what I'm saying. Like, as, as like, production character, yes. Like, oh, you know, I'm just saying from a comic book perspective, if you have Scarlet oh, yeah. Witch on your team, you fucking won. Like, when you have someone who's, like, power is, oh, I can change what reality is, that that might be a little too strong. Fair, but she couldn't really, she wasn't really in control yet. No, she wasn't. She was very much like, I'm still... Or, actually, at this point, her main power at the end of it was just, uh, she was telekinetic. That's what she did. Yeah. And she has some like mind stuff and stuff. Yeah, they haven't really fully explained her powers. I think well this is something we might like... get to see in uh Infinity War because she's yeah. she's one of those people that can actually t- uh Thanos. Like Iron Man or other it, this is purely from a comic book perspective. Superheroes like Iron Man, superheroes like Captain America are useless against Thanos. Yeah, I'm really I'm really interested to see what they do with which and with so, like, this is why I think Infinity War. To, one way that they can make Infinity War a fantastic film is like they allow Doctor Strange and uh, Scarlet Witch to shine, like actually see like you know these incredibly powerful characters reveal what like what the entire power that they have, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to keeping them nerfed, which is what we've kind of seen with Scarlet Witch, where she is trying to figure out her powers and things like that. But that, like, that was also kind of the storyline in Age of Ultron, where she was just like, I have powers, I'm trying to figure out what they do. So I hope that like, uh, Infinity War is like more along the lines of, I know what my powers are, this is what I can do, and not a third film of her you know, still trying to figure out her powers and things like that. So th- that's All just right. like my thoughts on you know, how I've used Call of the Witch and things like that. But uh, I, th- I, I think... think it's- yeah, go ahead, oh. what were you saying? No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, so, like, Civil War for me is... Uh, I, I love the Russo brothers for what they did with the Winter Soldier, and I continue that on with I like the Winter Soldier more than I like Civil War. That's one thing. But I genuinely, like... I think apart from the fact that uh, maybe there was just a little too much levity in the, in the fight, like, the fight scene in the airport, I thought that was one of the best fight scenes that's been put to film. Like there's I, no doubt about that. I think it's the. I think it's the. Like, I mean, I think it's yeah. Obviously, it's a sense of like it's subjective. Like for I, I love the fight scenes in Raid, for example, uh, which is something that's hard to replicate when you have superheroes and things like that. But I think one of the best fight scenes put together. Uh, like, and you know, for me, the only thing that kind of bothered me a little bit throughout the movie was, like, it, it felt a little too funny at times. And that's something that bothered me at times. But the introduction of Black Panther, uh, the introduction of Spider-Man into the film, these are two major characters, and they could have fucked it up because it's hard to do massive introductions in a film that already has a bunch of other characters. And they did it well. 
and they handled it really well. So I give props to the movie for uh, I give props to the movie for the fact that it was setting up this, you know, the Sokovia Accords and things like that. And I definitely do give props to Baron Zemo as a villain, even though he's not the traditional type of villain. But you really get to see how one person can, like, sub, like you know, just on the level of, like, fucking with people's minds can do these particular things where he can bring um, a civil war between superheroes that were together for two films. So, like... I also thought it was interesting that, like, in... One of the most interesting scenes in that movie is not these crazy superheroes fighting. It's these crazy superheroes having a, a, a philosophical debate about uh, regulation versus uh, freedom, almost, of like, who, do, do we trust it in our hands, or do we, do we know that we are not going to always make the right decision and trust the government? I think that's a really yeah. interesting debate that's going on, and especially that, that scene where there's the debate going on between the two sides is also extremely interesting to me. And I think... Of, wait, go ahead. What were you saying? Well, I was going to say, sort of agreeing with Zach, like, the great thing about that debate and that debate scene and everything is throughout the course of this movie, it's not suddenly Iron Man and the people following him are evil, mm-hmm. but they while they're the antagonists, you can see why their side is also sort of right. Why yeah, exactly. an unattended uh, Avengers... I still agree with Iron Man's side. I, I think Iron Man's correct. Like, uh, see, that that's the entire thing. This film's the entire thing of, like, Team Captain America, Team Iron Man, uh, overarching power of the government versus, again, like, it, it, it elaborated from the sense of, like, the Winter Soldier, where it's just like, can we privately be superheroes or do we have to, for a sense of accountability and security, sign up for this entire superhero registration act? But on the opposing side, you have Captain America talking about the fact that like everyone's, you know, everyone's secrets being out there while people might not want to be known to other people as like people with superpowers and things like that. They may face some kind of uh, prejudice. They may face uh, elements of like having their entire uh, security being like, you know, like, private security being taken away from them because they have certain powers and now they have to be registered and almost like a like a sex offender or something like that. And I like I like the idea of the Sokovia Accords almost more than the comic version, the Superhero Registration Act. Mm-hmm. While I do like that a lot, I, I fucking love the Civil War storyline in the comics. I think the Sokovia Accord sort of regulation storyline is more modern in a sense and was more right for the MCU and I think they did it really well in that sense. So, um, yeah, like, I'm just going to finish off like a couple more points I have on Civil War, which is, one was the fact that, like, I I genuinely love, like, the first third and the last third of the Uh And obviously the middle of the film involves the you know, the airplane fight scene and everything like that. But the setup of everything that happens and produce and dealing with like a little little bit of like uh you know, Bucky on the run and things like that. But also combined with the last third of the film where you get to see uh Baron Zemo's character come to fruition in a way. And you get to see like you know, uh, like there's a high level like the fight scenes at the end of it are darker and they have a whole lot more emotion. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy. Like for me, 
the final fight scene between Captain America, Iron Man, and Bucky. I feel I like that more than I like the airplane fight scene. Yeah, just on a level of storytelling, not on a level of the way that the like you know how it's directed and everything like that. Just on the I felt that fight more than I felt the other one. I think that's the best emotional fight in the MCU, at least. Like, it's a great emotional fight. I don't know how I would rank it overall in all of movies, but yeah, I agree. I think that's the best show of emotion and, like, climax of emotion that we see in these films. It's, I agree, it's really good. Like, also, there's just, like, these small tie-ins. Like, my father made that shield, like that, when you... Like, it just harkens you back to, like, oh, first Avenger. He worked with Howard Stark, and now he's fighting Howard Stark's son. Like, it's just these, like, particular, like, nuances that actually, uh, or make that particular fight slightly more superior to the one in the airport, in my, just for me. And the fact that, like, like that, like, where it harkens back to uh, first Avenger and stuff, like... That's also what I love about this movie is it works as, like I said, like an Avengers 2.5 kind of thing, but it also works so well as the third Captain America movie where you see the whole Bucky storyline coming to its sort of logical conclusion. You see the Howard Stark part. You see everything here just is sort of a culmination of everything in the last two movies in his trilogy and in the last two movies of the Avengers trilogy. No, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? Um, besides the fact that I think the single greatest cinematic moment of my entire life was when I saw Spider-Man next to Black <laughs> Panther, next to Iron Man uh, on the screen. It may have it, it next to vision. Like it was, I don't know. I just I love. Like, it was such a fantastically done. Just like Spider Man jumps down, and there's like they're lined up. It, it it may have been my favorite moment at a movie theater ever. My favorite moment was seeing Marissa Tomei because I am in love with her. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh. I don't know. My, probably my favorite moment from Civil War is uh, uh, Iron Man shoot like you know using the repulsive blast onto Cap's shield and like you know just like that that wide shot that was there like it, it's just beautiful. It it looked beautiful just looking at it and it harkens back to the comic and it's it's like that. It just looked amazing. So that was probably my favorite moment of Civil War was just that particular scene. Uh, now this is where like the next movie, Doctor Strange. This is where I think we're gonna have a a massive like uh, issue because I did not like Doctor Strange. Really? Okay, I'm done. Right, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> I did not like Doctor Strange. I loved the first twenty to twenty five minutes of Doctor Strange, and then I got so annoyed with the rest of. It. Really? Really? Yeah. That's just like, I think, I I love Doctor Strange's character because it is just so different from the rest of, uh, like, the rest of the entire, like, Marvel superhero, uh, I guess, 
uh, roster. And it, it's just so filled with, like, this element of, like, Eastern mysticism and, like, um, this, this aspect of, like, uh, yeah, it's just a very, like, psychedelic movie. But it, it just kind of got screwed up later. Like, I thought it was like in besides in, the in fact that there's a bad villain. I think was the screwed upness. I think the fact that they try to normalize it, they try to like uh, bring it more into the realm of like reality as a, and like make it you know. Oh look, they're like fighting uh, in astral planes and things like that. But like it's completely filled in. Re- I I don't know. I just didn't really enjoy it. That that was just my. I mean, in my opinion, Doctor Strange is one of the top three or four films for me. I I really think Doctor Strange did an amazing, amazing job. I would put, as an origin story, I would put Doctor Strange right behind Black Panther, right above Spider-Man in terms of my enjoyment level. I'd put it right at number three. Yeah, I'd agree um, with that. I think... It portrays a complex character. I think it uh, tries to communicate an idea that's very foreign to a lot of people in a realistic way so that it fits in with the rest of this universe. I think it does a really good job at doing both. I think... Like, the the I, weakness... I, I don't know. I think there's a massive shift in... There's a massive sh- shift in the type of storytelling that's there between the the first 20 to 25 minutes to what happens in the rest of it. This is just like something that I felt like, I don't know how to put it into words. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but while watching the film, I just felt like a massive disconnect between like, you know, the last two thirds of the film as opposed to the first third of it. I mean, I don't know. I, it I... Might have, like, it's, it's just like something that bothered me about Doctor Strange at the end of it. And like that, that's why while leaving the film, I left kind of, I don't know, I, I didn't leave like overwhelmed or I didn't even really leave overwhelmed. Like I, I felt like what I felt with Age of Ultron, I left a little underwhelmed. Like I thought it was a really pretty movie and I like kind of enjoyed the fight scenes and things like that. But like, I don't know, something about it just ticked me off and I didn't really enjoy it. I mean, there were there were parts, I agree, that were questionable. I think Kaecilius is probably the worst villain. In the MCU, he's just not. You think this is worse than whoever and... the fuck is in Thor two? Okay, okay, never mind, I never mind. Compl- he's not. I think it's, not. Yeah. He's not worse than Malekith. <laughs> he's not worse than Malekith, but Malekith is an abomination of what a villain should be. No, okay, but I, I don't think he's a strong villain. I just think worst villain in MCU is. A yeah. Okay, but like, I I agree that the villain. I, I guess the villain could have been better, but at the same time, there's just so many things that work so well and uniquely with this movie. You know, I'm sure you agree the visuals were good, I know, but that's not even what I mean. Like, like the the reverse fight scene at the end where they're, like, rebuilding the city of Hong Kong and the whole... I think the the final confrontation with Dormammu where, you know, Dormammu have come to bargain over and over and over. I think that's one of the most unique endings I've ever seen. Like, I I would never 
I, I could never think up something that clever. So that's like, I love that in movies where like they come up with endings that are more clever than I could think of rather than, you know, they get in a punching and shooting match with the villain for the 12th time in these movies. Like, I get the entire, like, you know, he did the load save game kind of thing and he kept like coming, you know, respawning over and over again and kind of used his brains as opposed to his brawn to like fight off Dormammu. However, like, I, I didn't give a shit about Dormammu. I mean, no, I agree. I agree that they could have fleshed out the villain better. There was no fleshing out. Like, it, it was the same thing as what they, and this is going to be a very harsh criticism, and I don't mean it. But they did the, they went the Green Lantern route of a villain that's just there to conquer for no reason whatsoever. Well, the difference is that they made up Dormammu to be this unconquerable villain, right? Who, like, you couldn't defeat. And then they made it so that Doctor Strange physically still could not defeat him, even when he won. It was just like, he just pissed him off enough. Like, at least they didn't make him out to this be, like, this villain that could never be beaten, and then they beat him. Like, he he stayed true to his character enough that it was good. Um, Whereas, like, if if they had made... Doctor Strange did something to, like, kill him, I'd have been like, okay, whatever. But since they had him outwit him, that's something I could see him doing, and I, I get the, the villain more. I think it makes up for how, for the the, the, the place where uh, the villain was lacking. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that, plus, like, the the character work that Cumberbatch does with the character to make him such a unique character in this franchise where like he's sort of a fish out of water but he's like picking up quickly and you know he's sort of just a fast i don't know i don't even know how to explain it like i i just i love his character i love what he does with it i like the relationship that he has where it's sort of a traditional relationship between him and uh uh, Rachel McAdams' character, I don't even remember what her name was, that's kind of a bad sign but I like that relationship where it's sort of a traditional relationship but they add some quirks where it's interesting I I, I just really like the movie I don't know I My least favorite part of this movie was Benedict Cumberbatch's accent because I don't think it was very good I guess uh, I don't I mean, know. Uh, Yeah, like that never really bothered me yeah, uh, I, I, I know. Like people talked about, uh, you know, his American accent or his New York accent was kind of shit. But like, it's like it just sounds like wasn't the thing. That wasn't the thing that took me out of the movie. Like, it wasn't the accent for me. It was like certain changes in tones. Or certain, just like a, just some weird shifts that I. It just, I don't know. I I just didn't really feel that. Again, like I'm at a loss of words as to how to describe what I felt, but like. It was it was just a little weird for me. Like I I I genuinely loved the first thirty minutes of the movie. Like I I thought it was amazing. Uh, uh, visual amazing, explaining you know astral projection and the astral plane and things like that. It was just so well done. But like the fact that they try to like bring it onto Earth, like they try to like take it out from this like crazy external dimension and just be like, let's just make it into like an Earth battle. Let, let's just make it into like using powers on Earth or something like that. That just put me out of the movie a little. 
I think that but they why they did that though was to appeal to the larger audience. Like we I think yeah. we would have understood yeah. it. But if you try to take a little kid and then you're going interdimensional, all this kind of crazy stuff, you're gonna lose a lot of the audience. Yeah, but like if you try to like completely like you know you try to mass appeal a product, you kind of lose yourself a little bit in the eyes of people that like really love uh, the astral plane or something like that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get that. And that's kind of what I felt in Doctor Strange. I, I think they, like, I love this. I think it was the fact that the first 30 minutes involved like that, and then the rest of the movie kind of did not, was one of the main reasons why I felt like a disappointment from Doctor Strange. I don't think it's a bad film. I just, I, I like, I just, you know, felt a sense of disappointment after watching the film. So, the, those are, and um, like, now we're getting pretty close to, well, let's see, one, two, three, four. Four movies left, and then we're then it's just Infinity War. So, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. I like. I'm just gonna give a quick summary of my thoughts. I had a ton of fun with it. I did not like it as much as the first Guardians of the Galaxy, but I loved. Uh, I I I love the build up that was there in, you know, in terms of like uh, Ego, the Living Planet, and the relationship that Ego has with uh, Peter. I, I pretty much enjoyed it. I love the relationship that they built up even more between what is ah oh shit I, i'm forgetting his name right now uh, star lord not star lord yondu uh, yondu yeah the relationship between yondu and peter i i loved it and the fact that they built this like larger universe of what the ravagers are and things like that that was also something i think it was fantastic in terms of setting up the larger universe of what in, you know? What's involved in Guardians of the Galaxy? So I really like. I and again, a very similar feel to the first Guardians. Of the so I enjoyed a lot of those aspects. Like I thought it was a ton of fun, and the ending fight scene was also a lot of fun. But there was a sense of like really strong emotion that I felt while watching the first Guardians of the Galaxy that I did not feel for Guardians of the Galaxy two, and that was the only thing that I have to say. Like that, that's kind of bad about Guardians of the Galaxy two. I still think yeah. it's a massively enjoyable. I thought yeah. that this Guardians of the Galaxy had a better villain than Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Um, I thought that the yeah. plot was a lot better. Uh, I thought that it was a lot more like the humor seemed more forced and like, oh, we have to have funny fi-. Like it's just, It didn't seem as natural as the first one. So I think I still prefer the first one, but I still really like this one, especially because I thought the dynamic between Peter and his father was extremely interesting. Yeah, the the thing about Guardians 2, it's very fun. You know, you still you still have fun with all the characters and everything, but they sort of get flanderized in that they're like character like dr- like you said sort of earlier when we were talking about Guardians 1, Drax sort of becomes a character caricature of himself. He's only making stupid yep. jokes. You know, I feel like they they dial up the silly factor a lot, especially with, and especially they with Groot. They dial up the kids' appeal. I think that was one try to make it more kid friendly. And there's nothing wrong with that inherently, you know. But it's still it fun, hit, yeah. definitely. But I I do think the emotion of it suffers in that sense, which I think is also sort of your guys's um 
gripe with Ragnarok where you add too much humor and you lose sort of the feel for it. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with you guys. I think it's a very fun movie. I think Ego, like Zach said, is a better villain. Um, and the, the major drawback of it, though, that I'd say is... I feel like there's a lot lost by splitting up the team for a long time. Uh, I feel like you don't get as much of the team dynamic that you could have had. You know, you spent the whole first movie building the Guardians as this really good unit that you're really looking forward to seeing work together in the next movie. And then, you know, you have Rocket and Groot off with Yondu for most of the movie separated from the rest of the gang that I feel like what could have been. But at the same time, I think they did a really good job with Yondu. I think he's much better in this movie. Like, yeah, I'd say I definitely do like the first Guardians of the Galaxy Galaxy 2. Like, that's something I can say for sure. Uh, And I, yeah, like, I enjoyed the movie, and I had a, a ton of fun, but as you said before, the joke seemed a little forced. It was a little too focused on, like, you know, kind of making it appeal to kids, especially in terms of the humor and in terms of, like, a little bit in terms of what, what happens with the storyline, but I really do appreciate, like, uh, the way that they kind of did the entire thing with Ego the Living Planet and his the relationship between... Peter and Ego, and then Peter and Yondu, and then, like, the internal relationship between different characters. Uh, and, like, also the relationship between uh, Gamora and what's Karen Gillian's character? And, Nebula. Uh, what's her name? Nebula. Damn it. Nebula, yeah. Uh, yeah, the relationship between Gamora and Nebula. How they played the smaller internal relationships, so. I think that, uh, yeah, that, I I would summarize it in the way that like it's a fun movie and like I, I like it quite a lot, but it's not as good as Guardians of the Galaxy. Agreed. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean I think that's what I've, I th- I think that's what I said before. It's just I think it's another solid movie. I think I'd again put it in my top ten. Mm-hmm. But I think it wasn't quite as good as uh the first one, and I think it would be tough to meet the first one. I think that's a that bad of an insult. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a pretty good way of like just saying that's it. Yeah. Uh, next on the list, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Woo! I I just realized Spider-Man: Homecoming had six writers. Wow. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's six writers on the film. Like the most part from that is I think three or maybe four. Uh, but in the four writers in movies like uh, Ant-Man, where they had a massive change in directors and things like. That. There were six writers on Spider-Man. That's that's a lot. That's weird. So, yeah, that, that's about it. But like, yeah, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Uh, fantastic fucking Spider-Man. Oh my god, yeah. My favorite of the Spider-Man. My favorite Spider-Man specifically. Oh, one hundred percent. I like. I wouldn't uh, go that. Far. I I genuinely enjoy Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man movie. But this is, or not even movies, like, I, I love Spider-Man 2, and I love Spider-Man 1 a little bit, but, like, Tom Holland's Spider-Man is the Spider-Man. And I, 
like I love this entire movie in terms of it's it's not you know it's not dark it's not like uh, the storyline isn't deep or anything like that but Spider-Man is like supposed to be the most relatable superhero of all and they did a great job with that and I, I, I just like I remember leaving the movie and like obviously the more you think about the movie the, the more it becomes like it, it loses a little bit of its value but as just like someone who you know, you go in, you watch the movie, and you leave. You've had a ton of fun, and you've really enjoyed watching like Spider-Man on the screen. Yeah, my I only think... problem with this movie is it. Oh, no, 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 uh, Zach, my, my only problem with this movie is it. It got it to kind of the the, the formulaic superhero movie where yeah, uh, he finds these powers, he's having fun, and he gets knocked down, and then he like finds a way to like. I just, I mean. There were some cool scenes. It just, uh, it got, it got a little bit. It was very predictable, and it was just kind of like, okay, yeah. But yeah. I did really enjoy Tom Holland as Spider Man. I just didn't enjoy the plot as much as I think. Like, uh, no, the, I enjoyed the a lot plot, of the other ones. I'd say the plot was probably the weakest part about Spider Man Homecoming. I think it's, it's a very simple superhero movie, but I think, like, it just sold the character of Spider Man so well. And just watching like Spider-Man on the screen, it, it's just fun. Like it, it's amazing. So like that's what sold the movie to me. Like I, I think the plot is incredibly generic. I think Vulture as a villain is nuanced, but it, it, he's not like this was the last. You know, the, the robbery which leads to everything shit was going to be the last thing that the Vulture did, and he wasn't doing anything world-ending or anything. So like, I yeah, know. I thought the, I thought Vulture was probably one of the best villains, mm-hmm. and the scene in the car with Spider Man yeah. with Tom Holland and his date was a fantastic scene. Most expensive scene. Yeah, it, it's Michael Keaton though. It's like yeah, he's just an incredible actor, and he showed that to us as the Vulture. Yeah, completely yeah. agree. I mean, uh, I'd say. I'd say that like Homecoming does one of the best jobs of balancing like being fun for the kids and everything with also being fun as an action-packed superhero movie. You know, you have the relatable, you know, you got you got like the teen humor sort of stuff, but you also have the genuinely funny and awesome Spider-Man bits that just make the movie really good in that sense i agree also i i i mean michael keaton like what can you say like vulture sort of i don't really get the motivations of vulture i never really understood that part of the character i thought that was a little weak like the whole oh the motivations of vulture is that uh tony stark took everything from him yeah he's just trying to have a living for his kids Tony Stark's I mean, taking I, over all his technology. All he wants to do is is put food on the table for his kids. So that's how he does it. I mean, maybe, I guess. I, I don't know. I felt like the motivation part was the weaker part of his character. Uh, not, I don't know if I'm I'm saying that wrong. Not the. I get the motivation that he's like a family man. He wants to provide for his kids. I felt like the the thing that pushes him to be a villain was a little weak. But yeah, no. I mean, the, the car scene... His fights with Spider-Man, I feel like, are really strong. 
that part I feel like was really good. I and, thought the action scenes of Spider-Man were uh, weak. Um, in a, in a, with a character that you could do so much with action-wise, the scenes were kind of cookie-cutter. Um, the final airplane scene... I'm all right. That was a bit disappointing. It was all right. Yeah, no, no, the final boss battle. This, like, I don't know why I called it boss battle, but the final battle was very disappointing. Like, that yeah, was... I mean, even the yacht scene where he or the ferry scene, it's 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 okay, but I was a little bit let down. It's Spider Man. Like, yeah, do something cool with it. I don't know. No, no, it's. Uh... <laughs> Like, I, I remember like rewatching Spider-Man: Homecoming, and it's like the end of the movie just happened really fast. And like, there, there's one scene that I I really wish that they like embellished a little bit more upon, and it's like when, um, you know, Peter's kind of like brought down. He's like underneath all of the bricks and everything like that, and he just gets out of it really fast. It's a 30, 40 second scene, and that's it. It's he's done. And it's something like I wish I mean, they like, would have like maybe delved into a little bit more. That's it. At the same time, like, while that scene is going on, I felt like yeah. that scene is one of the most powerful. Like you're you're just watching this kid like crushed, and that was one of the best scenes of like making me truly feel for one of these superhero characters, and not just be like, oh, it's just this big strong guy, like whatever. You got a building dropped on him. Like this is. He really just looks like a kid that was just in a disaster. Yeah, and like that's one of the reasons why I loved, um, Tom Holland as Spider-Man was because like the way that he portrayed that with her, it just showed like this is just a teenager who doesn't know if he's gonna live. Like that's it. He's he's like the only thing I, I wish there was a little bit more of was like that scene went on for like maybe a minute or so longer, and it actually like showed him like dealing with two different sides of like what do i give up do i rise like what do i do something like that 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 would have made that scene exponentially better better for me yeah but like the the movie in itself i enjoyed it i and this the storyline was simple but it like i don't know it was a fun movie and like i really genuinely had fun watching that movie and and i love the way that spider-man is presented in that movie i still feel like the biggest misstep of the movie is feeling like they had to do the the MJ twist that they did yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, <laughs> oh, no, like it's I don't, unnecessary. I don't, you don't, need I don't to do care it. that uh uh what's it Zendaya is MJ like I don't I don't I'm not a person who's like oh MJ has to be a white red-haired girl like no like that's not the part I care about just like it doesn't matter to me at the what? end when she's like, "Oh, you can call me MJ. That's what my friends call me." Like, just, yeah. no. just that's. It felt very much have like her that. be called MJ throughout the movie. Like, that'd be fine. Like, there's no reason for that. It, it felt a lot like that entire thing of like, uh, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt being like, uh, being yeah, I was like, oh, oh, you should go by your real name, Robin. And I felt that, that was exact same level of like, yeah, like, it was a twist. It was a twist for the sake of a twist. And it it was, it was a pandering twist. That's what it was at the end of it. It yeah. was just like, hey, look, we have a character that you know from the comics. And it's like, you literally could have, she literally could have been her own character. 
and we would have still liked her just as much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought she was great. So, like, yeah, that just felt like a little too, like, we're going to dumb this down for you so you don't have to think about another character being added in. And I'm like, you know, it's just like you created a whole other character. Go with it. Like, have the guts and just go with it and be like, we're not going to go with MJ. We're not going to go with, uh, what was it, Gwen Stacy or anything like that. We're introducing character. And there you go. And I would have been perfectly fine with it. So, yep. yeah, I do agree with you on that. Like, that, I completely even forgot that, like, that thing was a part of the movie until you brought it up. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, that's one of, like, the more forgettable parts of the movie. And then, you know, it doesn't take away from the good parts, but it's just one of those things where, like, you just feel like they could not do that, and it would have just... I don't know. I don't know. All right, so now the last two films. I think we've touched upon this movie a lot. Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, we had a pretty long discussion of that actually, like at the beginning for no reason. <laughs> yeah, so we've had like a very deep one movie, but it was very different from the first two Thor movies. And like the characters were a ton of fun. I I liked the like you know the entire like. They try to implement like a sense of Planet Hulk storyline and things like that, and it was kind of fun. Uh, I really enjoyed the movie, but in the larger scheme of things, it it was kind of off-putting. I think that's the best way to put it. Like, wait, yeah, do you guys agree with that? Or I mean, yeah, I think everything that I had to say about that. So I guess I don't have much much else to add. I don't want to just repeat myself a bunch. Yeah, yeah I mean, I feel like we established pretty well that. That's kind of how you and Zach feel. I felt it was a little, it, I don't know. I felt it fit a little better than you guys did. Um, I think it's exactly the right tone for a fit. Well, not exactly the right tone, but I felt like it did exactly what it had to do for a Phase 3 Thor movie going into this next huge Avengers movie. I think it set him up really well for this movie. Um, yeah. And then I just thought that uh, as a standalone movie, it was good, but totally didn't fit with the rest of uh, the... And I get that. I get that. And I could see it. I just disagree a little. And But Boom. at the same time, you know... I mean, I'd say Thor Ragnarok is probably that I would rewatch uh, in, in the sense that like, I would rewatch it even if I didn't. Like... Yeah, like I would only watch, I would only rewatch Thor and Thor Two as like, oh, I got to do this for the sake of you know, rewatching the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. But Thor Ragnarok is a movie that I would like watch just because it's fun. Yeah, yeah. And well, there's honestly nothing wrong with that. Like, and that's about it. I think that we we had a pretty detailed discussion about it, so we can skip over this and go on to the last movie that came out in the Marvel Universe leading up to this weekend uh is black panther now i did a full episode on that that was like my question to this podcast so i'll let you guys just you know tell me your thoughts on it and things like that all right first i'm gonna tell you my dad's thoughts on it which was he didn't like it because it was a bad government structure uh <laughs> so that was nice seeing the movie with him but uh <laughs> i mean what could you Black Panther was an awesome film. I mean, like in the truest sense of the word, like it was you you go into it 
and it's just nonstop. Everything catches your eye. The... You completely cut off over there, Peter. Oh, I cut off? Yeah, yeah, you completely cut off for like a, two solid sentences. Okay, well, okay, then I'll repeat myself. So, I don't remember what I said, fuck. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Black Panther's just, like, everything you see in the movie is awesome. Like, you go into the movie and the ideas they present to you for everything that's in Wakanda, everything they add to the hero that they've added since Civil War, all the new characters, like, it feels like they didn't mess anything up. I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about a few things, and I'm sure I'm going to remember some things that I thought were messed up, but it's just, like, they just do so much right in this movie that it's crazy and then you look at it and you see that before this black panther was not like a top tier superhero by anyone's standards and all of a sudden this movie has made a billion dollars made more than the freaking justice league did like it's crazy to think about but like awesome movie that's my that's my take so i started getting into comics when I saw Avengers, like that's really when I dove in. And before they announced the Black Panther, Black Panther was already my favorite comic book superhero. So when this movie came out, I was like very happy. I saw it four times in the theaters. Um, I thought it was great. I thought it was a great movie. Uh, I do have some gripes with it. Um, I don't think Black Panther kicks enough ass in this movie. I think there's too much of him getting beat up. Um, I would love to see him just go in and just destroy some people before he, you know, there should be some conflict with the villain, but I, I think he, he, he loses too much in this movie. Also, Killmonger's character doesn't speak or really make any appearance until the second act, essentially, um, which I also think is a misstep because his point of view is so interesting and something that could easily be fleshed out uh, that without it it kind of is it just it just i feel like there's a little bit left out but i, I think I, wakanda the, the the world building of wakanda is fantastic i think all the tech is fantastic i didn't like the suit but that's just kind of because i'm kind of a traditionalist um i thought that i loved shuri i thought shuri was fantastic um uh, so I, overall i really loved the movie i just thought there's a few missteps where they were taking it so. all right well all right. I, can uh, I, can wait, I just address... Okay. Am I going? All right. So, I don't really get your point about Killmonger. I mean, like, he's literally... You know, he might not be, you know, the Killmonger character yet that we know of in the beginning, but, you know, they use the, ho the point of the whole first scene where, you know, they're killing his dad or, you know confronting his dad and everything in Oakland that the scene in the museum I feel like his character development is actually really good in the first few parts of the movie where they're kind of setting him up whether you know it or not and like they're setting up his motivations they're setting up who he is and I felt like they did a really good job with him I felt like he was one of the best villains in the universe I, I don't really get your 
gripe. No, I think he's a good villain. He just he didn't come out until at, like second act, and so I don't think his his he had two main monologues, and that was it. And then it was kind of done. So I just wish that there had been more uh, building of his character before he his inevitable downfall. I don't know. I still thought he was one of the best villains. I just thought he could have spent more. I think we could have used him more. There could have been more. Okay. So, uh, quick summary of my thoughts on this, because I've already delved very deep into it in an episode. Uh, I love this movie. It is one of, it, it's in my top five Marvel Cinematic. It's in my top four. Like the, So that basically gives the way, way the position for it. But, um, no, actually, no, no, no but um, I think Killmonger was a fantastic villain. I like. I think he's one of the better villains that Marvel has put out, and I love the fact that like he's a villain with a history behind why he becomes who he is, and not that like I am bad to be bad or something like that. And I, I, I love that fact. I love Coogler's directing in this movie. I love the way that he directs action. I, I like love the setup. I love the. Uh, the entire, like, the world building is so well done, and the fact that you establish a world and then actually even delve into its history all in one movie, it is something that can be, like, you know, if you can, you can try that and it can make a movie way too convoluted, and that this film didn't feel like that at all. And for, it's just, like, it's a pretty long movie, but it, it doesn't feel like uh, <coughs> time does not come out in that way. Like, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, it's over two hours, but you don't really feel that. And, uh, I think it delves into a very good, like it delves into a very good conversation. It shows the fact that, like, you know, uh, just because someone something is done traditionally does not always mean it's right. And I love the fact that, that like, uh, not only does the character, uh, n- not only does like T'Challa's character go through like changes as the movie goes through, but like the entire society, like, just Wakanda also experiences these changes. And like towards the end of the movie you see the entire thing of like opening up your borders and like it's just a like a beautifully put together movie with a lot of like intrinsic detail to it and i i just really enjoyed it like i really really enjoyed it yeah i really enjoyed the movie too i was just i i was looking at it even more critically because i had seen it four times and it was my favorite superhero but i still thought it was one of the best movies yeah no i mean like, I I, I think, oh no, Coach, go. Go ahead, go ahead. What were you saying? I mean, I think, yeah, like they, they, it's such an interesting job of like taking this character. It's technically not his first movie because he was in Civil War for a bit, but like yeah. taking this character in his first movie and just doing so much with him and doing so much with his world that we're getting introduced to that like. It's almost as big an undertaking as like some of the some of their earlier origin films. Like, I wouldn't quite say like Iron Man, but like the Captain America movie, like whatever Guardians of the Galaxy, where they're just doing so much new stuff and they don't miss with almost any of it. That it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this movie can be summarized as like. All around, well, the three of us can agree that we all love this movie immensely. So, I think yes. that summarizes the, the our thoughts on the movie. And like, 
yeah, I, I think it's a great like a great way to lead into Infinity War significant amount of Wakanda because it's just like we're following on from what you know yeah. where we were in Black Panther and it leads into Infinity War. So I'm, I'm excited to see if there's like going to be even a time jump in that or whether it's almost like a pretty solid lead in. Like it's just like a few weeks later or something like that this happened. So yeah. I'm just excited about it and uh, yeah. Uh, we covered 16 movies. Wow. In Ugh. two and a half hours. Uh, so two things that we have to do. Number one, uh, all of the Infinity Stones. So the very first one, we see it in... The, where, where do we see Tesseract appear in? I think the very first time... Uh, we, Captain America. First Avenger, uh, where the like Red Skull finds it. So that's when we see the first introduction of the Infinity Stone. And, uh, uh, actually, uh, you see it in uh, an after credit for Thor also, when... Uh, Selvig is talking to yeah. Uh, I think uh, I, I think um, uh, Captain America's in before that though. I'm not sure though. No, Captain America came out uh, a couple of months after. Yeah, Captain America's after Thor. Captain America came out two months after. Yeah. Oh. Okay, never mind. Like uh, uh, first like yeah, Captain America was the Thor. Thor came members. out May of 2011. Captain America came out July of 2011. July of 20, yep. Because gotcha. the, final, the final like post credit scene for the first Avenger is also like the introduction of you know the like Avengers in itself. Like it, the it, Avenger almost, mission, it yeah. ties in really well. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, the, the Tesseract is the first one. It's introduced mostly in Captain America. It's just a glimpse in Thor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. So that's that's the space stone. That's the first thing we see. Then we see the second infinity stone that gets introduced is the reality stone or the ether that comes through Thor: The Dark World. Don't remind me. They could have placed this in like many other movies, and we. Well, but that's we even had to watch. <laughs> yeah, watch. we literally have to sit through Thor: The Dark World for uh, the reality stone. Um, yeah, thanks a lot. Third one. The third one is the Power Stone. That comes out in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Uh, fourth one is the Mind Stone, which we see get used for the Vision, and that's Age of Ultron. Yeah. And then the fifth one is the Time Stone, which is uh, what Doctor Strange uses. And then now we're all we're doing is waiting for the sixth one, to the Soul Stone, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, we don't have the Soul Stone yet. Um, a lot of people uh, that I've seen uh, think that it's going to be um, Idris Elba's eyes. Um, forget his oh. name. Should... I would yeah, disagree. Yeah, Heimdall. Heimdall, yeah. Heimdall's eyes, yeah. Um, so that's that's one thought process that I've okay. heard of. I haven't heard that theory at all, actually. This is the first time I'm hearing it. It could be in Wakanda and like the Soul Stone is a reason why, you know, particular uh like uh I forgot what the, the plant that you use the heart shaped herb. Uh, yeah, the heart shaped herb. Uh, the heart shaped herb, yeah. Uh, like that and like you know the creation of vibranium like that comes from the soul stone being in Wakanda. That's one thing that I've heard. I mean, I would say that sounds like the most plausible considering if you look at especially when you look at all the promotional material of Infinity War, 
considering mm-hmm. how they're having you know huge battles in Wakanda and everything it looks like I don't see why Thanos would be so interested in that area if if the yeah that's true stone or what is it the soul stone yeah the, if, soul stone, if yeah. the final stone wasn't there I don't see why they'd be focusing it on it so much um so my theory behind why they're in Wakanda is because if you hear in one of the trailers he's like this is our the, the one advantage we have is he has to come to us and they think that the safest place and the best place for them to fight would be Wakanda. I mean, yeah. the thing they is, dra- I think they, that's why they have. To, I think that's why he would say. So I've I've said that they should. That I think they're luring him to Wakanda so that, that they could fight him in Wakanda. But what would lure him to Wakanda unless it was Vision? No, Vision would lure him to Wakanda. I don't know. I feel like it's all just we're all just theorizing. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> I mean, pure speculation. Like we could all be wrong. Days, like, you'll it, have my theory. <laughs> it, it, it could be on the, like you know, uh, it could be on like a moon of Saturn for all I fucking know. Yeah, I mean, for all so, we like, know, it, it could be it could be that Thanos already has it. Like he could just have. One I hope already. not. I really hope not. I think one of the things that we see is when he picks up the gauntlet. The last time we see him with the gauntlet, there are no stones on it. It's just true. a gold gauntlet. True. Yeah, it's true. And we actually no, he doesn't have it because in the movie, in the itself, we see him add a second stone to one stone that he had, and none of them were the soul stone. Like the soul All right, stone. Right, but but no... they're gonna introduce the soul to, stone. To refute uh, that, they're gonna introduce that. that. Shots, shots like that in the trailer aren't always a hundred percent full because there are shots in the Thor Ragnarok trailers where they don't show him without the eye. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah, it's it's pointless to argue like minuscule points like that so much when like you know one we're gonna see it in four or five days or whatever. Literally, like, a week. also like yeah. it's. The the great thing about the MCU is our theories are probably all wrong, which is yeah, because they're probably gonna think of cooler things than we ever could, and yeah. we're just along for the ride. No, I completely agree. Like it, it doesn't matter where it ends up being because it's still gonna be interesting the way that like everything happens. Like I have, I have ideas of what the movie might. But like, I still like it, yeah. it's not a predictable movie. Even like everyone's got their theory on who's that. gonna die, who's gonna not, what exactly. they're gonna do with the next movie, everything. Like it's it's cool it's being all up in the air right now, and that, that's one of the things gonna like, happen completely yet. Yeah. And that's what excites me the most: the fact that like you know it, it could legitimately anything. Can happen. Okay, to finish off the thing, top five. Uh, you go first, then Zach, and then on. Top five. All right. Oh, um, okay. see, do they have to be in order? I guess they should be. All right. Yeah, do it in an order. Just because it's uh, better. All right. I'll go from five to one. So I'll say five to one. Yeah. number five for me. Guardians of the Galaxy. Little low, but whatever. number five. Okay, number yes. five for me, Guardians of the Galaxy. Number four, Spider Man. Number three, Black Wait, Panther. We didn't, 
We didn't hear your number four at all. You cut off. Okay. Number five. What? Number five. Uh, yeah. What did I say? Guardian. Just say it all together. Just say it all together so we can like hear you. Number four, yeah. Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Number three, Black Panther. Number yeah. two, Iron Man. Number one, Civil War. Okay. So, gonna recap. Number five was Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Uh, number four was Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. Uh, then number three was shit. I forgot. What was your number three, two, one? Three. What did I just say? Goddamn. Uh, it was three up. was Black Panther. Three was Black Panther. Two yeah. was Iron Man. One was uh, Civil, Civil War. Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, Zach, your turn. Uh, we're going to go five, Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Uh, four is um, Winter Soldier. Okay. Three is Civil War. Yeah. Two is the Avengers. One is the original Iron Man. All right, all right. Uh, okay, so... Five for me is the first Avengers. Four is Black Panther. Three is Guardians of the Galaxy. Two is Winter Soldier. And then one for me is the first Iron So So Iron Man is the collective favorite. Is the collect it's one, one, and two for me. Yeah, one, one, and two. That that's where it ranks. Uh and then I'd say yeah, Black Panther Civil War? All of our top fives. Oh, Civil War. Yep. Uh and Winter Soldier is also, I'd say, actually, no, there's only no, no, Winter Soldier, Winter Soldier is very close to Guardians for me, so yeah, no, I'd, I'd say that's definitely a top, uh, but essentially, I'd say overall, Iron Man is one to one, and then Civil War didn't make it into my list, but it made it to number two. But anyway, those are our top fives individually. And holy shit, this was a two and two hours forty minute long podcast. Oh jeez, a long episode. Oh jeez, Rick. We talked for that long. Jesus. You, you think anyone's gonna <laughs> listen to this podcast? Oh jeez. Just, just for the Rick and Morty impression. <laughs> All right. So this is all that i have for you guys it's 1 a.m now so see you everybody thank you for listening in and this is where i tell craig to stop recording